0: of the Ghostbusters here for the ghost in my machine that is preventing radio from working properly tonight. Welcome to a very, very late, better late than never, edition of Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. I hope this works after all the effort I put into it this evening. I'll tell you what happened here. Um, A few days ago, I dropped my computer. It fell, I don't know, a few feet And I turned it on and it said that Windows can't start. I'm like, oh, my God, I just corrupted something when I dropped it. Well, it offered to fix it on its own. And I should have said no, because anything Windows attempts to do on its own is usually a complete failure. And this was no exception. So either from dropping it or from the normal Windows updates that came through right around at the same time, my Internet Explorer no longer worked. And I said, well, no big deal. I don't even use Internet Explorer very much, so I'll just worry about this later. And I had no idea it would affect radio until I tried to start up Skype, which is a necessary part of this radio show, and found that it is linked with Internet Explorer, and without a working Internet Explorer, you can't even log in. So I worked on this problem ever since, I don't know, about 6 o'clock tonight, and around 8 o'clock, I finally got it working. And then I had some other weird problems that I don't even understand what's going on there. But anyway, it appears the radio is working. My computer's still kind of sluggish and freezes up a bit. So if anything weird happens during this broadcast, that's what's going on. And I canceled the free roll tonight. I know a lot of people who stuck around for this live broadcast are very disappointed about that. But I hate when people donate money for the free roll and then... Very few people can play because of some kind of last-minute change in schedule. So whenever we have something like this, I don't want to run a free roll with the money that was generously donated by our users here because uh, it doesn't give everyone the normal shot to win. So that's why the free roll has been canceled. Uh, The money is not going anywhere. We still have all the donations. That will be given away next week and the week after. Next week we will have a Wednesday show on September 3rd at 630 And that's when the next free roll will be at uh, 7.40 p.m. that same evening. I actually canceled the show very briefly. And uh, I hope people can hear this. Yeah, I guess they can. Someone sent me a Twitter message saying they can't hear it live anymore. And I got scared. Believable, but scared. Anyway, I... I don't even know what I was saying. Now I'm just confused. Anyway, oh yeah, I was gonna do a makeup show tomorrow at 11:30 in the morning, but I said no. Nah, I, I don't want to do a show at 11:30 in the morning. It's just it's just not a pleasant thing to do. I, I just don't want to turn on radio at 11:30. I just I just don't feel I'll put out a quality show at 11:30. And most of you are probably at work or in a place you cannot listen. The only people who will be Happy to find a show at 1130 in the morning would be the Europeans because that'll be the evening for them. But everybody else probably will not like that time. So I decided I'm going to run this one late tonight, at least late for the East Coast people. It's starting at uh, 815 tonight. And for those of you that made it here, great. And I'm sorry there's no free roll. Let me give you the usual stick as far as... Uh, the opening to the show you can call in i hope it works still i hope my skype works i was able to log in so it should uh anyway the phone number 775 fraud 55 775 372 8355 that's our main phone number and if you want to call the mount charleston line that's an old 70s telephone that sits on top of mount charleston which is a big mountain near las vegas that cannot be crashed by skype but it forwards to wherever I am. That phone number is 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. And I actually decided I'm going to visit the Mount Charleston phone this weekend. I decided uh, I got to go take a look at it again. Just make sure everything's okay. I will be there this weekend. 702-430-1808 is the Mount Charleston line. Whatever line you call, make sure to... Show your caller ID by dialing star A2 beforehand or enable the show ID option on your cell phone if you're calling me with a cell phone, as a lot of you do. No free roll tonight, so nothing to talk about with that. And uh, I do thank still everybody who was donating to it. And here is the agenda for the evening. Gonna give you another update on the Poker Fraud Alert hats. I have some good news. Daniel Coleman and Oliver Busquet, I think that's how you say his name, they wore pro Palestinian t shirts and by extension anti Israeli t shirts at an EPT event, a televised EPT final table. So we'll talk about whether they should have done that and whether poker stars was correct in their reaction to it. I'll tell you what PokerStars' reaction to it was. Well, tonight we may or may not have a response from Kim Shannon regarding the Amanda Musumichi situation. She's been saying it'll get to me, but maybe it will, maybe it won't. If I do receive it during the show, I'll quickly read it and might even call her up for comment. You never know. So we'll wait and see if that comes in. Well, there's been a lot of talk this week about Bitcoin gambling and the Coinbase situation. Now, I talked about that last week, about how Coinbase decided to not allow people to send money to Bitcoin gambling sites, and that includes Bitcoin poker, uh, presumably to keep their nose clean so the federal government does not come after them as a kind of pseudo payment processor for online gambling. And I understand why they did that. People are frustrated about it, but I understand it. They've got to protect themselves. But it has spawned some side conversations regarding the legality of Bitcoin gambling. Is it legal to gamble Bitcoin on the internet? Is it legal to run a Bitcoin gambling site on the internet? Since you're not actually gambling cash, you're just gambling Bitcoin, which are, you know, just kind of online token, so to speak. So why shouldn't it be legal to gamble those? It's, it's legal to gamble the play chips on the no fraud online poker room. So why not Bitcoin? I will explain the legality of Bitcoin gambling in that little segment. Genocide, a.k.a. Jennifer Lee. She is hospitalized. She is in the hospital for not just a few days, not just a few weeks, but believe it or not, genocide is hospitalized for 8 to 10 weeks? What is wrong with poor genocide? We're going to talk a little bit about that in our gossip segment of the show. Well, the state legislatures, when I say legislatures, I mean all of the states, are unhappy about the Some attempts to make a federal law against legalized online poker. So we'll talk about the states getting together to oppose this legislation, which of course is a good thing for us. More on the legalization front, California online poker legalization, which will not happen in 2014. Good news, it might happen in early 2015. It is going to return to the table in early 2015. I'll talk about what's going on there. Two stories related to 888.com. First of all, they plan to come to the Nevada market in four to six months from now. So anywhere between four months and six months from now, 888.com plans to come to the Nevada market. You may say, wait a minute, they're already there. Uh, They have the WSOP.com software, or shall I say WSOP.com has them. You're actually running 888 software on WSOP.com. But uh, it's actually going to be branded 888 Poker. And 888 will be running a third site. And they will all be sharing player pools. So we'll talk about what's going on there. In addition, second 888 story, their CEO thinks that poker stars should have to wait two years before entering the legalized U.S. market. I'll tell you why he thinks that, and I'll tell you if I agree. Well... This story I know will appeal to one of our listeners. We have a listener here who is a fan of a particular poker player, a very big fan. And I bet this guy, when he hears the story, will wish that he is the subject of the story. There was a man who was accused of being part of the Caesars sports betting ring that had to do with the World Cup. We've talked about that on this show. And uh, he was in prison, but he has been released from prison awaiting trial. And he was released to a particular poker player's custody. So which custody? Whose custody is he in? Would you believe Tom Dwan's custody? (laughs) I mean, I wish it was a joke. But yeah, we really have a criminal who has been released to Tom Dwan's custody. I'm not even kidding here. I'll talk about that wacky story. And I'm sure that uh, One Step Ahead wishes that he was part of that gambling ring. Finally, my editorial for the evening. I feel everybody should avoid blaming the scam victims for their predicament. Now, to fall victim to a scam, usually you have to either be too trusting, too naive, stupid, gullible, Or uh, just not really on your A game. Usually smart people and uh, alert people don't get scammed. But you know what? Sometimes they do. Sometimes you can get scammed just because uh, you trust someone too much. Or because uh, you think you're doing something nice. Or because you're just off your game for a day or a week or a month. And you're just not really yourself as far as... uh, Looking into things as much as you should before you put your money into something. So you can easily be scammed even if you're not an idiot. But unfortunately, a lot of scam victims are afraid to come forward because people make fun of them and people put them down and people, in fact, will blame them we being scammed, and they feel they'd rather just suffer in silence. I think that's a bad thing, and I'll talk about it as part of our editorial, and obviously that has a lot of uh, relevance to poker since we have so many scams in poker. And in fact, if we didn't have scams in poker, this would not be called Poker Fraud Alert Radio because we'd really have nothing to talk about every week. So that's our agenda tonight. 775 fraud 55 775-372-8355. You can also go into the Poker Fraud Alert chat room, provided you have a flash-enabled device. You can also text me. That's 775-372-8355, our main phone number. 775-372-8355. You can text me during the show, and I will read your text on the air unless you ask me not to. You can also text me during the show, or I already said that, but before the show or after the show, it'll get to me. This is a text I got after the show last week, and I really don't want to read this, but if you're in mixed company, if it's on speaker, and you don't want the mixed company to hear something obscene, please turn it down. Please turn it down so sensitive ears do not hear this. Okay, you ready? Here we go. I can't believe I'm reading this. This is from the 404 area code. Druff, who would you rather lick your arsehole in a thong? I don't think I don't think mean my own asshole. I think they are trying to say that whose asshole would you rather lick in a thong? Amanda Musumichi or Kim Shannon? That's a terrible question. That's a terrible, terrible <laughs> question. <laughs> really. I, I'm not even going to answer that question. I, I'll read your text on the air, but I'm not going to answer the question. I mean, I, how will I answer that question? I, I don't know who's... I, I'm not even going to answer it. I'm not. But that came from the 405, 404 area code, not 405. Don't want to blame poor Oklahoma for this. This was a 404 Atlanta. Uh, 678 area code. Um, no, they didn't want me to read it publicly. It's not a big deal. It's just a tax question. Uh, Poker Prince wants to donate $5 of the... 25 he donated for the free roll and use it as a bounty on him, I would if we had a free roll tonight but thank you anyway, we'll do that next week and uh, I guess that's it for now, 775-372-8355 if you want to text me and of course if I don't answer the phone during the show it just means I'm in the middle of a rant and just try back in 15 minutes or so and I'll probably answer, I do like phone calls don't be shy so Let's get going. Already late. Already very late. Show should have started like two hours ago. I'm looking at the ratings right now. Not as high as usual, but higher than I expected given the late start. So here we go. First topic, we will talk about poker fraud alert hats. The most important thing. I mean, what else is more important in the world than poker fraud alert hats? I've been talking about sending out those hats for quite some time. I gave a few away during the World Series. Kev Math got one. Series of Series got one. Various others I saw at the World Series got one. But I have not mailed any yet. Just because I've been busy and I went on vacation and I got sick and you know, a few other things happened. So I, I just didn't mail out the hats. It's a lot of effort, actually, believe it or not, to mail out a bunch of hats to a bunch of different people. I don't want to do like you know, one a day or I want to do them all at once. So I'm doing them in batches. So I have finally taken orders for hats. And when I say orders, you don't have to pay me anything either for the shipping or the hats. And this is going to set me back a lot of money, by the way. This is not cheap. Think about it. Think about shipping all these hats and I don't have any kind of like preferred shipping rates. I'm shipping like each hat individually, which costs money. And uh, I bought all the hats, which cost money. So this isn't cheap. I hope you guys appreciate it, especially from a cheap Jew like me. But I will be shipping them probably this week. I have put together a list of people who will be receiving them. There's a few who have uh, PM'd me since then. I haven't forgotten about you. I will process those PMs before I send out the batch. And I think I'll probably be sending out in excess of 40 hats on this first batch. There won't even be that many left after I send out this first batch of what looks like over 40 hats. I will make a post. I'll make a tweet. You know, I'll, I'll make it known when I've sent it out, but it's going to happen very, very soon. I'm not procrastinating. I'm actually doing it now. Uh, the thing that's holding it up is I'm waiting for the packing materials, which I have ordered on Amazon and are coming to me. And when I receive the packing materials, which I think should be tomorrow, then I will put it all together and go to the post office and ship it out. It's a lot more work than you think, but I'm going to do it. You should get them pretty soon, and I hope you wear the hats proudly. So, I actually incurred another expense you may not realize as far as the hats. Uh, The guy who designed the hats, who's actually a, a professional designer, he agreed to design the hats for free if I gave him a piece of the event I would not sell. And that was the $1,500 limit hold'em event, which I just have never sold. So I just did, I just don't sell it out of tradition of not selling it. So I let him – I didn't give it to him. I let him buy it at parity. So he bought 20% of me in that event at $300. So he didn't pay any markup. And the lack of markup and ability to buy into that event was kind of his payment for designing these hats since he's a, you know professionally does it. And I thought his – original design he sent me looked the best so of all things that was the event i cashed in so you know good for him i'm not i'm not disappointed but i'm just uh i'm saying that i actually had to pay 20 percent of my 1500 dollars limit hold'em cash out to this guy i only min cash so wasn't that much but uh, yeah he made like 200 something dollars on that too so anyway just trying to make you guys feel bad for receiving this free hat just trying to make you feel as bad as possible all right, so will be shipping them out. Not much more to say there. Expect them soon. Let's go to our first real topic. It's also about someone wearing something. But it's not anyone wearing a logo for a site. It's not even about a hat. It's about t-shirts. Daniel Coleman and Oliver Bousquet, I think that's how you say his name, I always kind of read it as Bousquet, but it's actually probably Bousquet. I've never heard it said before, because I really don't watch poker on TV. They were wearing two pro-Palestinian t-shirts at the EPT High Roller event final table. And I I presume when it's televised, you're going to see that. Uh, One of them wore a shirt that said Free Palestine, The other one wore a shirt that said, Save Gaza. So obviously these two are very much on the Palestinian side in the ongoing Israel-Palestine battle. Now, I could spend a whole show debating that one. I'm sure there's some people who feel very strongly one way and very people who feel very strongly the other way. And I'm not going to make this a long debate. Uh, I will say that I can't see anyone with a reasonable mind thinking that uh, Hamas should be considered anything but a terrorist organization. I mean, that's the really the dominant government over there in Gaza and They have stated that they want the destruction of Israel. So it's not just about free Palestine, free Gaza, blah, blah, blah. That's about destroying Israel. That's what the Hamas want. So I can't see how Israel can really take them very seriously as far as wanting any kind of peace. But putting that all aside, let's just put aside why someone would or would not want, uh, you know, to support Israel or Palestine. That's not really what's important for this show. What is important for this show is whether or not players should have a right to wear shirts like that. Should you be able to make a controversial political statement on a t-shirt at a televised final table? And I guess there's two questions. Uh, Number one, is it appropriate... And number two, should it be your right to do? Well, Poker Stars, who uh, is the parent company of uh, the EPT, was unhappy about this. And while they allowed it to occur, surprisingly, I'm really surprised Poker Stars didn't catch this and say, ah, 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 go change your shirt. But uh, they allowed it to happen. And it's over. Oliver won. It's over. But in the future, it was stated by PokerStars that their new policy is to refuse entry to any player displaying political statements of any kind. And they even said, in retrospect, it was a mistake to allow them entry. So PokerStars says, no more. You got it by us once. It's never happening again. There's never again going to be a situation where someone shows up to a televised table or any of our tournaments wearing a controversial shirt, especially something of a political statement. You can't make political statements on your shirts at our tournaments. And some people were very angry about this. Some people were saying that PokerStars is engaging in censorship. Some are saying, how dare you do this? We paid Rake to be here. We're not being paid to be on TV. You guys are making money from televising it, the least we can do is wear the shirt we want to wear. Some people are saying to poker stars, if you want to censor what shirts we wear, then give us the entry feedback. You know, I can understand people thinking that at first, people being mad at first, that, you know, poker players for a long time have been taken advantage of by the televising of these events. Think about it. Can you think of any other form of entertainment on TV where the stars of the entertainment do not get paid? Do you see actors on TV not getting paid? Do they act for free? No. Do athletes play for free? No. But yet, poker, which at one point was pretty big on TV... We all did play for free. In fact, we paid to play on TV. And that has been a sore point with poker players, and rightfully so, for quite some time. The problem is the only solution is to boycott the events and not enough poker players would ever boycott based upon that to be uh, to, to make a real impact. I mean, it's been tried before, it, it's failed. They just say, oh, well, you know, a few of you pros don't want to play, no big deal. So, anyway, I can understand the resentment that some people have toward the televising of poker tournaments where the players don't get compensated and, in fact, are paying to be there. By the way, I just got a PM in the chat room from S Double who said, can I get a hat, please? And the reason I'm reading this is he says, I want to make a political statement with a PFA hat. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, if that's true, you better not wear it at a Poker Stars event. But yeah, SW, you can have one. You have to PM me though. It's PM me your address and your name and the color hat you want—blue, black, or white. But getting back to what I was saying here. Getting back to what I was saying about. Uh, the censorship aspect while I can understand the disdain that many poker players have toward the televising of our tournaments and not compensating us that has nothing to do with this I understand when a company wants a certain dress code either on their premises or at events that they are running. That totally makes sense. In fact, if I was walking around the Rio, and forget during uh, tournament time, I guess the Rio is a bad example. You'll You'll think of the World Series. I don't want you to think of the World Series. Let's say I was walking around Caesars, just walking around Caesars, and I had on a shirt that has some kind of provocative political statement doesn't matter what it is doesn't matter what side it's on it wouldn't have to necessarily be about this israel palestine situation it could be about anything but some kind of controversial political statement and i walked around with that on my shirt and someone at caesars approached me and said hey todd wait a minute we don't want someone walking around our casino with a shirt like that we don't want political statements on shirts here it can make our customers angry we don't like that can you please go change your shirt i'd be a bit annoyed But I would understand it. I would understand it because it's their business. They have a right to enforce whatever dress code they want. And if they think my shirt might upset some of their customers, I can't say, hey, Caesars, it's my right to wear whatever shirt I want on your property. No, it's not. Every business sets their own standards for the dress code on their property. And I would fully understand if they wanted me to change. In fact, it makes sense. It makes sense. They don't want people getting angry at each other and fighting with each other or not wanting to come back when they see things like that. They, they want it to be a pleasant environment. And if the, a shirt I'm wearing is provoking people who don't agree with the message on my shirt, I can see why they wouldn't want that. Now, as far as I know, Caesar doesn't have a rule against a shirt like that just walking around in the casino. But I would understand if they did. Now, it's even worse when it's on TV because here you're not just offending possibly the people who you walk by, you're offending everybody watching it and everybody associating what they're watching with the company putting it on, in this case, poker stars. Now, you might say, wait a minute, this is an interference in freedom of speech. Now, I'm a big believer in freedom of speech. As you see, I go on this radio show every week and I speak my mind and I will offend people and I will attack companies that I don't think are acting properly and people who I don't think are acting properly, and I can do that thanks to freedom of speech. I can have a forum that says a lot of controversial things and has a lot of controversial users thanks to freedom of speech. But freedom of speech is not the same as being able to set your own rules on somebody else's property. And see... This is not preventing Daniel Coleman or Oliver Brusquet from wearing these shirts out on the street. It's not stopping them from protesting Israel wherever they want to go in public. They can do that. They have a right to protest Israel. They can write websites about it. They can go out on the street and hold signs or wear that shirt on the sidewalk and try to get attention. That's all part of freedom of speech, and I support that. But you can't force private entities to allow people to wear shirts that get people angry when they're on private property or appearing on a private broadcast. You can't. So PokerStars is the one running the whole thing. They say, we don't want this sort of behavior here. We're not taking a side on this. Just nobody can make political statements through shirts or anything they wear in the future. We don't like that in our tournaments. And I understand. Politics really has no place... In poker tournaments. I remember Perlaid Friedman, the ultimate uh, limousine liberal. When he won a tournament and he made a speech. They, they gave him the microphone to make a speech after he won. This is a number of years ago. And at the time he made an anti-George Bush speech and an anti-Iraq War speech. And he actually got booed from people who didn't want to hear a political rant at a poker tournament. But some people applauded him and said, hey, great, you know, Prahlad, uh, he's trying to use the tournament win to spread awareness of political matters that he finds to be important. Good. What a socially conscious guy. Well, you saw what a socially conscious guy Prahlad Friedman was when after being so against all forms of corporations and constantly bashing corporate America and corporations are evil, blah, 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 uh, ends up promoting the most controversial and corrupt corporation that I've ever known. And that was Ultimate Bet UB. And he did so knowingly, knowing exactly what they were, knowing exactly what they were doing. Why? Because he was greedy. Why? Because he was a limousine liberal. He was someone who wanted to say things to make himself seem progressive and sensitive and enlightened. But when it came to taking a cut in his personal lifestyle when his finances weren't as good, he didn't want to do that. He'd sooner support a scam corporation that was willing to pay him than uh, take a cut in his lifestyle. So this guy was the ultimate hypocrite in what he did in promoting UB after the super-user scandal, and after it was made so clear to him that the same people were in charge. I don't want to get on a tangent here about Perlad, but the truth is politics don't have a place in poker. You should not go to the poker table to convince people of your political point of view, no matter what it is. You should not wear shirts at the poker table to try to bash one side or the other on the political spectrum. It really just shouldn't enter the equation. It just doesn't belong there. It has no place there. Poker is a game. It's a game of skill to play against one another. If there is any trash talk at the table, it should be related to the poker game. There shouldn't be political arguments at the poker table. Nobody's here to play poker and listen to that crap. In fact, a lot of people go play poker to get away from things like that. to get away away from all the fighting in the news uh, related to politics. They just want to go sit down and play a game they think is fun. They don't want to have that following them to the table. I can understand that. I wouldn't want to hear at the poker table politics that are on the side that I'm on. I just wouldn't want to hear it. It's just not the place for it. Now, the problem is here, and I just talked about Prahlad being a limousine liberal. Daniel Coleman, I don't know if he's Jewish, but it kind of sounds like it from his last name, which is especially funny here that we might have a Jew, like a self-hating Jew, who's uh, so fanatical about uh, Palestine that he's actually on Palestine's side. When Daniel Coleman did his weird rant against poker, despite the fact that he's made so many millions from it and continues to make millions from it and does that without guilt somehow, but uh, bashes the game as being so evil. It reminded me of a lot of the weird and nonsensical rhetoric I would hear when I was in college from middle or upper, upper class white kids usually who were... Uh, very left-wing. They saw themselves as very progressive. Uh, basically, whatever left-wing cause they could take up, they would. Whatever left-wing viewpoint they could take up, they would. And yet, what were these people doing? They, they were going to college on mommy and daddy's dime. They were happ- happily taking the money that mommy and daddy made, often you know, doing the exact things that they said were so evil, working for corporations or whatever. Um, Driving nice cars, uh, a lot of times not even living in on-campus student housing but living in some expensive off-campus apartment. Uh, Basically big hypocrites who wanted the benefits of a capitalistic lifestyle but uh, wanted to feel cool protesting it. And I can't respect anyone like that. I can respect someone with the opposite viewpoint – who actually practices what they preach, but I can't respect a limousine liberal. I can't respect someone who goes on and on about uh, evil corporations this and uh, evil capitalists that and uh, then on the other side of the coin, they're uh, you know during their real life, they're benefiting from all of that. They're living a lifestyle that is enabled by all of that, which they claim to hate. Similarly, when uh, Daniel Coleman came out and bashed poker and said it's a game that's not doing anything for anyone, it's, it's harmful, people can't afford to lose this money, uh, people spend time playing poker when they could be doing more productive and useful things to the world. Just, just a lot of feel-good, meaningless nonsense. And coming from a guy who plays super high-stakes poker... And aims to beat the people who cannot afford it. Who did not give back any money that he won from the people who cannot afford it. Someone who has made so much money from this game at the age of 23. And yet has no problem keeping all that money. And you know what, Daniel? You should keep that money. Except, there's a kind of interference here. There we go. I have no problem with Daniel keeping that money, except you can't keep the money and bash it at the same time. You can't. If you want to hate poker, if you want to say poker's evil, if you want to say poker is something that distracts people from the important things in life, then don't play it. But here's a professional poker player who hates poker. Here is someone who is probably Jewish that seems to hate Israel. What I'm seeing here is probably someone who feels a little bit guilty. And I said this before about him. Someone who feels guilty of all the wealth they have that they earned, not from doing anything useful for the world, not from inventing a product that has helped the world in some way, but by playing a game where the object is to take other people's money. And he has. He's taken a lot of other people's money. So he probably feels guilty that he has all this money, That he won it from other people, maybe some who can't afford to have lost it. That maybe he has ruined some people's lives financially in order to get this money. And this has led him to this guilt to where now he feels, one, he has to bash poker. And two, he has to uh, take on various causes that just kind of seem cool to him or take on the cause of the underdog. And make himself feel better. So while he's trying to win millions of dollars again, if he wears a shirt saying, save Gaza or free Palestine, that that makes him a good person. Because he's bringing awareness that Palestine needs to be freed, in his opinion. So this really seems like a guilty kid who won a lot of money. Kind of feels bad about it. Kind of feels like he doesn't deserve it but doesn't feel bad enough to want to give it back. So he engages in a lot of uh, meaningless crap like this to make himself feel better, that he's really doing something for the world. This is the problem with a lot of the really young kids winning a lot of money in a short time. Usually the problem is they just can't handle it and blow all the money. They have no responsibility. But this is another problem. It's just they're really not emotionally in a place to process how much money they have won and whether that's okay or not. I, I guess that's what's happening with him. I found in general, poker players are susceptible to things like that uh, choice center cult or whatever you want to call it. And Daniel Coleman is not part of that as far as I know, but uh, people are susceptible in poker to things like that to these kind of self-help groups because a lot of poker players just kind of feel like they have no direction. They kind of feel like they are not contributing to society at all by what they do. And it makes them feel guilty and aimless. So it ends up showing itself in one of various ways and this is uh, seems to be Daniel Coleman's way of doing things and I think I don't know Oliver Bousquet's story, but it's probably something similar. But regardless of this, regardless of this, I, I know some people in the chat room who are uh, left to center aren't very happy about uh, the stuff I said here. But I've seen this so many times before. I saw this in college over and over and over again, except the Daniel Coleman's I knew in college were not rich themselves like Coleman is from winning all the money in poker. They were rich through their family. But it was the same thing. It was the same sort of guilt process. But getting back to the main point is that poker stars has the right to make their own rules. And I don't think poker stars should allow right-wing political messages. I don't think they should allow left-wing political messages. I think they should allow no political messages. I think they are doing the right thing here. And even if they were doing the wrong thing, they have the right to enforce whatever dress code they want to enforce. And I'm the first one to bash poker stars when they do something stupid or do something that is against the interests of poker players. There's a lot of people who come up to me and say, hey, Druff, why do you hate poker stars so much? Why are you so anti poker stars? I said I'm not anti poker stars. I just tell it like it is with poker stars. I like some things about poker stars, I don't like some things about poker stars. Well this time I'm on poker stars side. Crypt is saying in chat, it's a human rights message, not political. See that's I, I hate statements like that. It is political. You may call it human rights, but the other side would not see it that way. It is a political matter there are definitely two sides to this story and too often people will defend their right to wear controversial shirts or whatever or protest where protest doesn't belong because they'll say but this is so important no but this is about human beings No, this is, this is such a, a big deal that we have to do it And if you don't let us, then you're heartless. No, there just isn't a place for this. They can protest all they want. Just not at the poker table and not where a company does not want them to protest on their own property. You don't have the right to wear whatever you want on somebody else's private property. You just don't. If they don't want you to wear that, then your reaction is, okay, either I'll change my shirt Or I'll leave. I won't ever come back here. That's fine too. They're not forced to play the EPT. They could just say, okay, fine, we won't play. I know this isn't about the same thing, but Alan Kessler, as you heard last week, was very anti the quantum rebuy format at the Bicycle Casino, at the WPT. So what did Alan Kessler do? He said, okay, what did he do? He said, all right, forget it. I'm not coming. I'm not going to play this tournament. I am not coming. to the World Poker Tour legends, like I always have, because I hate this new format that you have introduced. I'm going to go play somewhere else, and what do you know? Kessler ended up winning where he went to go play. (laughs) so good for him. But uh, Kessler put his actions where his mouth was. He said, I don't like what you're doing here, and he didn't come. So anyone who doesn't like PokerStars' policy about the EPT and about wearing political shirts, well, don't play. It's easy. Spend your time protesting instead. And again, I'm not criticizing this because it was a left-wing message or criticizing it because I'm a Jew and it was a pro-Palestine message. I'm criticizing it because it's a political message at all. And I don't think political messages of any sort should be at the poker table. I don't. Not the place for them. I mean, when you go sit down to play poker, do you say, you know, I hope somebody sits down at this table and starts talking about politics. I'm really hoping that happens. I'm sure most of you do not feel that way. I'm sure when you sit down at a poker table and someone starts talking about politics, you groan, even if it's politics that you agree with. At least that's what I do. I don't want to hear about any type of politics at the poker table, especially because I know even if it's politics I agree with, that someone else will disagree with them and we're going to have like the worst debate and the most frustrating thing to listen to when I just want to play cards and relax. All right, let's move on to the next topic. Got some text messages here. Let's see. The reason I'm looking at them is because uh, it may have to do with our next topic. All right. Supposedly it's been sent. Let's see if I receive it. I'm talking about Kim Shannon here, who has been promising for quite some time her blog that will refute the accusations made against her. Okay, here it is. She emailed it to me. So I promised Kim that I would read her response to Amanda Musumichi. Because Amanda Musumichi has been accusing Kim of staying with her for a few months, racking up $5,500 worth of bills... And money owed just basically after three months that, uh, Kim owed Amanda $5,500 allegedly. Amanda wrote a blog about it. This happened back in 2012. So she's just writing about it recently saying that Kim never paid her and Kim was dodging her and Kim has finally responded. So I'm going to read what she wrote and, uh, If I have any questions about it, I'll actually call her. I have her phone number right here. She's been texting me during the show. I think she's even listening right now. So this is what Kim Shannon wrote. If you want to read Amanda Misumichi's side, you can Google it. I've read it on this show before, and I give every side equal time. This is what Kim wrote. For anyone with a firm grasp on the English language, there is a clear-cut difference between a scam and a dispute. If you're one of the people who's confused about that difference, please refer to the following definitions for clarification. And here's a screenshot of the definition of dispute. Uh, to engage in argument or debate, to argue vehemently, wrangle or quarrel. Scam, one, a confidence or other fraud scheme, especially for making a quick profit or swindle, verb, to cheat or defraud with a scam. She goes on to write, and she just copied definitions there from another site. She goes on to write, the situation with Amanda and I, and by the way, this isn't up anywhere right now. This is an exclusive here on Poker Fraud Alert. This is uh, sent privately to me. The situation with Amanda and I is a dispute between former friends and roommates who made a deal based on a mutually beneficial arrangement. Neither of us had enough foresight to put our agreement in writing and ended up with a very different opinion about what the total dollar amount owed actually is. I do not at all deny that I have an open and outstanding debt with Amanda. Interesting. I've acknowledged that since the day I moved out, and I repeat it in almost every conversation she and I have. I accept that I have a responsibility to follow through with my end of the agreement. Okay, so that's at least we have some agreement here that, the, that money's owed. It's just how much, apparently, is what's in question. What I do not accept or understand is how Amanda's self-described charitable and selfless offer to rent me a room has turned into what she now claims is a 5K debt. She can't justify the math or reasonably explain the increase, but still refuses to budge from that number. I absolutely will not pay what I do not owe. She will not accept anything other than an agreement to pay 5K. And there you have it, a textbook example of a dispute. Frankly, the story isn't that interesting. I disagree with that. I think it is interesting. And the way it has been blown out of proportion is absurd. When Amanda puts out scammer alerts all over the web and plastered my private information in her Twitter feed, she essentially brought a nuclear bomb to to a squirt gun fight. By the way, this is the first time I'm reading it, too. I just received this like a few minutes ago. What she did and said was vindictive, malicious, and serves no constructive purpose. Calling out for my private information in her tweets was a thinly veiled attempt to stir up drama and make my life difficult. We were texting every day and I shared my private information with her frequently. Any information she was looking for could have been attained simply by asking me for it. This matter could and should have been settled privately and without incident, But when Amanda failed to intimidate and manipulate me, she gave up trying to extort me and opted to humiliate and discredit me instead. I imagine it was out of sheer frustration that she embarked on her online rampage, turning this into a circus with free general admission for all ages, apparently. Amanda's accusatory blog post is full of manipulated bits and pieces of actual occurrences and is a grossly exaggerated version of the actual story. She uses cherry-picked portions of conversations and partial accounts of false stories to make me look like a villain and make herself appear to be a victim. The entire blog is dishonest and so are her comments in the forum threads. She neglected to include a ton of very important details that, that would provide a much clearer narrative of what really occurred. Anything that does not fully support her, quote, Kim Shannon is a scammer story was excluded omitting the truth is lying, posting screenshots out of context is lying, and telling half-truths is lying. For example, she told you I ignored and avoided her for months and didn't respond to any of her texts. She didn't tell you that she was texting the wrong number. I could take time to break it down line by line, posting my own screenshots to corroborate my arguments, but I'm not going to do that. I think you should, actually. Like Lee Davies said in his commentary on the situation, People tend to read and believe whatever they see in the headlines and skip the body of the article or post altogether. Based on some of the ignorant feedback I received after Amanda's blog post went live, I'd say that many of you have proven the point quite nicely. I resent needing to prove and or defend myself to strangers. I have, however, compiled a large cachet of screenshots, emails, texts, etc. as evidence to corroborate everything I am claiming here in this post and will be sending it all to who? Who? Oh, that would be Todd Witellis of PokerFraudAlert.com. Wow. I made it into the blog. I didn't know that either. Like, I I talked about send it to me, so I did offer this. She didn't just pull this out of her ass, but I didn't know I'd be in the blog. Hmm. I'm relevant. Wow. I'll be sending it all to Todd Witellis of PokerFraudAlert.com this evening. Whether he chooses to share his opinion as an impartial party is entirely up to him. Now, you know I will. I will be sending to him proof that the following claims by Amanda are entirely untrue. I guess I'm like the unofficial arbitrator here. One, we kept a list that was long and full of small dollar amounts owed for for each time we had gone out, gone shopping, took a pack of cigarettes. I basically marked it on the list on the fridge so we could keep track. So that was a quote from uh, Amanda that she's saying this is untrue. So then she put in parentheses, This list is pure fiction and never existed. The couple of times she gave me full packs of cigarettes, she was reimbursed right away. Two, quote, the arrangement was bearable, but definitely far from optimal. I felt a bit disrespected in my own space. Then uh, Amanda responds, she never gave me any indication that she was unhappy with my presence in the house. In fact, right up until she tossed me out on Christmas, she gave me the impression that we were great friends. Number three. Quote, again, another quote from Amanda. I told her I didn't want to ruin her. I just wanted some sort of agreement to get repaid. Amanda responds, any arrangement I've ever attempted to make has been dismissed. It's never enough. Hmm. Four, I quote, I was sick of her being a slacker and not working. Amanda says I was working the entire time. Five, uh, and this is not a quote. This is Amanda commenting again. She claims that she threw me out on Christmas Day because I had been giving her the runaround with money. The truth is she threw me out on the 25th because Ryan Arikazo, that's her boyfriend, was moving in on the 26th. At that time, I made it clear to Amanda that I acknowledged owing her the rent money, but told her very clearly that she had become my absolute last priority, especially after putting me back in the exact same spot she claimed she was saving me from, and she would not be seeing payment anytime soon. Hmm. I don't understand that. No, I'll talk about this afterwards. There's much, much more, but uh, this is getting lengthy, she writes. Amanda has made statements in her posts that would lead you to believe that I have avoided communication with her and haven't been open to rational conversation. To hear her tell it, you'd think I haven't made any effort to resolve this debt. The following quote from her blog post is just one example of the negative picture Amanda has painted of me in regard to this matter. Quote, I begged Kim to handle this with fairness, honesty, and integrity, but each time I text her I met with this aimlessly nonproductive and angry resistance. Amanda writes, this statement is entirely false. The truth is that Amanda and I have had a very frequent conversation and communication discussing our situation at length. As recently as the days just before her blog post and even in the days immediately following, I was in constant contact with Amanda and remained open to finding a resolution to our dispute, but also let her know in no certain terms that I was more than willing to, pay, to let a judge deter- decide the outcome for us. The fact of the matter is that Amanda, who has been disagreeable and combat and combative every time I try to compromise with her, she creates an additional set of unrealistic demands. Frankly, trying to keep up with her consistency, consistently changing her story has been exhausting. Hmm. That's long. I'm scrolling down here. This is pretty long. Let me, let me stop for a second and comment on some things. I'm going to forget all this. I mean, it's, it's a pretty long blog. Um, what I'm a little bit confused about here, and maybe I can call Kim to find this out. I don't think it's likely that Amanda would have refused money. Kim says, I, she says, okay, you know what? I've, I've been screwing up this whole thing. When I say Amanda says this, I really meant Kim. I was confusing the two of them. Sorry. That's what I get for starting late. <laughs> but I, you guys know what I'm saying here. Basically, when I was reading those quotes, they were from Amanda and Kim was responding. I think I got it reversed, but uh, whatever. I think you you get the drift. But uh, here's the problem. Uh, I I can't see Amanda refusing money. I mean, I'll read the next part here uh, after this comment. But if you owe someone money and send them money, what are they going to do? Send it back? say hey you owe me but no I'm not accepting it I guess a few people would but I've had people owe me money in the past in poker or even not in poker and I always get annoyed when they try to tell me well I couldn't afford to pay you this amount this amount is too high I can't afford it and I say okay well send me less well you know I, I can't really afford that either I'm like look send me $50 a week I don't care I'll be happy to take fifty dollars, a hundred dollars a week, if it gets paid eventually. Every time you send me money, I'll be happy, unless it's like a dollar, to where it's more more of a pain in the ass to cash it than to receive it. But uh, you send me fifty bucks a week, a hundred bucks a week, I'll be happy. Hundred bucks a week is over five thousand a year. So if you owe me ten thousand, it'll take you two years. I mean, yeah, I'd rather get the ten thousand right up front, but you know, a hundred a week is better than zero a week. So I, I don't understand. You know, Even if Kim doesn't believe that, Amanda, that she owes Amanda this type of money, why she doesn't just start sending at least payments for what she does owe and what they both agree at least is owed, and then the remainder, then they can figure out later. I think that would also make Kim look more like a sympathetic character. Now, on the other side, I have to say, um, I once had a situation, or more than once, I've had situations with companies I owe money to where I call up and they say, okay, well, uh, I say, like, the bill is $200. I think your bill's an error. I believe I really owe 135 So they'll say to me, okay, send in the 135 and then we'll figure out the other 65 And I always say, absolutely not. I say, I'm not going to pay an incorrect bill. If I'm going to pay you, it's going to be the right amount. And I think that's the proper way to handle a company, because you have to give the company some incentive to work with you. You have to give the company some incentive to uh, go over this bill that's incorrect because otherwise they get very obnoxious about it figuring you're going to pay the first part anyway. So I kind of use that as a carrot to dangle over, the, dangle over their head that if they want to get paid at all, they better give me a true and correct bill. And basically I say to them, look, if you're going to send me to collections, I don't care if you're sending me to collections uh, for $65 or 200 It's all the same. So either we resolve this and then I pay you where I don't pay you at all. And I think that's the right way to handle a company. I don't think it's the right way to handle another person, another private party, especially one you were once friends with that you owe money to. I think if you both agree on a minimal amount that is 100% definitely owed, then get that knocked out. And then as far as the disputed amount, then figure that out later. And then if it has to go to court, whatever, then do it. But at the very least, if you really owe money, pay what you owe. And in the court of public opinion, if it does go public, then you look a lot better because you have paid what everyone agrees is owed. And you're saying, look, I didn't scam anyone. I just don't think I'm – I just don't think I owe this additional part. But as you see, I paid the part that I did believe I owe, so I wasn't trying to scam it. If I was trying to scam, then I, I wouldn't pay anything. So that that's, that's one area I, I think I, – I really think that Kim should pay at the very least what she – Believe she owes. And then at that point, go further. Now, I will read the rest of this here. And I I don't understand also this whole thing with uh, Ryan moving in that uh, I I can see how maybe she wants the roommate gone when the boyfriend's moving in for obvious reasons. But uh, the, the way she wrote this here in the blog, I don't really understand what the reasoning was supposed to be. But moving on here's what Kim writes is the true story when I met Amanda in September 2012 she told me that she had a three bedroom house in Margate New Jersey all to herself that she already paid for on a six month winter lease and invited me to occupy all the rooms or one of the rooms not all the (laughs) rooms all the rooms no I I don't think that uh, Kim Shannon is that big (laughs) Anyway, occupy one of the rooms. We agreed that I would pay $600 a month, half the rent, to be paid to her at the end of the winter lease term, giving me time to get back on my feet after struggling with a nasty domestic separation. She told me that she had also prepaid a fee for utilities, and we agreed that if there were any overages at the end of the term, we would split them evenly. A few days later, we agreed that I would take on the task of doing all of her social media work, and she would reimburse me by, quote, working something out out as a partial barter for rent. And then she writes, am I the only one who finds it strange this was never mentioned in Amanda's long-winded and slanderous diatribe? I moved in on September 24th, 2012, and out on December 25th. In the interim, I designed, created, administered, and managed two separate blogs, one for her, one for her boyfriend. LinkedIn profile, and a Facebook fan page. I also improved her Twitter client, increasing her follower count, uh, and and created an interactive email signature, a photo gallery, and did a ton of editing and ghostwriting. Amanda failed to mention any of this to you, but it is a huge part of why we're in the midst of the dispute. Well, hmm. Um, before I go on here, that's an interesting thing. And this is really where I'd like an answer. I mean, they don't have to give me an answer, but if they do want to give an answer to the public. What was the deal here? There's two ways this could have gone. I, there's no way that uh, Kim was just going to do all this for free. There's no way Kim is just doing all this social media work for free. But it could be one of two ways. It could be that this is what she's doing in exchange for the delayed payment on rent. Kind of like, you don't make me pay rent now. Let me pay at the end of the term. And in exchange, I'll do this social media stuff. Or is it, I'm doing this, and then you're going to give me a break where I won't have to pay half the rent? And if so, what break was it? Was it ever discussed? Like, a, The specifics here would be nice. I I, I believe, I, I think I believe that uh, the social media work was done by Kim, and not just for nothing, but, but what was the agreement here? I'd love to hear both sides on that one. It is interesting this wasn't mentioned at all in the Amanda blog, but this is the first time it's being brought up, so I'd like to hear Amanda's response on that one. Uh, It's possible Amanda will say, hey, that was just, uh, she did that in exchange for me letting her pay late on the rent and pay after all these months, but who knows. Somehow, three months of rent, this is the blog from Kim again, and a $500 cash loan she extended to me has escalated into this 5K debt, I have repeatedly asked her to justify how the debt increased to such a high figure and she has repeatedly failed to do so and has also consistently failed to acknowledge or account for the social media work I performed. When it it eventually became clear to me that we were not going to be able to come to some sort of agreement in regard to this matter, I told her that unless she could justify the 5K debt to me or discuss repayment of the accurate amount, then we'd have to settle it in court. I was more than willing to let a judge decide – and I gave her my dad's address, which I use for anything important, so she could have a summons sent. I, I don't believe that's how it works in any state. I believe to sue someone, you actually have to serve them. I know in California and Nevada, it works like that. I, every state I know of works like that. So that it's not that important. I'm just mentioning it, that uh, if you really want to let someone sue you, then you need to say, OK, I'll be in this place at this time and have me served, not just have them send a summons to an address where I'm not at. But uh, that's, that's not that important here. After realizing that a court decision was something I actually encouraged, she finally sent me a list of how she came up with a figure of 5k, which is nothing less than absurd and included charges such as over a thousand dollars for cigarettes. No 1300 for a security deposit. She says was kept due to water damage. Uh, And she puts in parentheses, was the landlord the only homeowner in Margate who didn't receive a FEMA check after Hurricane Sandy 1500 for food. no, and a plethora of random ludicrous seems like things like vacuums, huh? fans, what does that even mean, cleaning supplies, and more. None of these things included that list of which were things we had an agreement in place for, and are all complete exaggerations anyway. She never once even made mention of our social media work trade agreement, and obviously never made adjustments to her very creative calculations to reflect that agreement. She actually refuses to even acknowledge it. You spent a couple of hours helping me with my blog, is what she said to me. The truth is her social media projects spanned from September through December, the entire length of my stay at her house. Well, it definitely wasn't three months of full-time work, but uh, it probably was more than a couple of hours. It's kind of in the middle of those two. To make a long story short, I told Amanda that her list was unacceptable and that she would not extort me for a debt I do not owe and that we could absolutely work it out in court. That's when a few days later she went on her online rampage. I do not claim to be perfect. I haven't always made the best decisions in life, but I'm certainly not a scammer or a person who hurts or takes advantage of other people. I haven't always paid my debts on time in the past, but since becoming pregnant with my son, my priorities have changed completely, and I've made major life changes. Over the past 18 months, I have managed to pay off every bit of personal debt I owe, excluding this one. Trying to control what people think about me has become very low on my list of priorities. My son's safety, welfare, and happiness comes first. Being a good life partner comes second. Life partner. I thought that's only a term for gay people. Okay, uh, and and doing my job effectively comes third. But I'm not nearly as thick-skinned as I thought, apparently. And the mob mentality that, assu- that ensued from a one-sided blog post based mostly on opinion and speculation was unbearable. For 48 hours, I was incessantly called names that I don't care to repeat, which was more than an annoyance and personally, uh, but when his pictures of my nine-month-old son started to appear in a poker thread that I began to feel a knot in my gut and knew this had gone way too far. Ask any parent on the planet and they'll tell you that if someone posts pictures of their children in a negative context, it's an implicit implicit threat. Well, I wouldn't go by... I wouldn't go that far and say it's a threat, but I admit it's unpleasant. I mean, uh, I, I haven't posted pictures of my son for the public to see for that same reason. I just don't want to see people you know, Photoshopping obscene things onto him and whatever. So I, I can understand where, like, you don't want to see pictures of your baby posted on public forums. But, yeah, that happens with the Internet. That's the risk you take, unfortunately, when you post these things to your Facebook. That's why, actually why I'm choosing who I put on my Facebook. If you're, if you're approved on my Facebook, you should feel special because it means I trust you not to repost these things. Not cool and completely inappropriate, she writes. I won't even address the vicious rumors that have been circulating or the 27-year-old criminal charges that were posted completely out of context. All of this escalated from my refusal to, p- to pay a debt that I simply do not owe and it's not okay. Amanda Musumichi was not scammed. That should be obvious if you're still convinced she's a victim of a devious plan to scam her out of um, a spare bedroom for three months. At least now you can say you're convinced after hearing both sides of the story. Whatever people believe about me to be true is what they believe. No matter how much I defend myself, this is the last time I will comment about this situation. To be honest, I'm pretty bitter that I've essentially been forced to address it publicly at all. At the end of the day, I've learned who my real friends are, and I continue to hold my head high, knowing that I'm not a person who harms others. I am happy with myself, and I'm enjoying every humbling moment with my amazing new little family, and for the first time in a very long time, I'm proud. No amount of judgment from random strangers will ever change that. Well, uh, that's Kim Kim Shannon's response. And uh, you know what? I'm going to try to call her. It's an interactive radio show. I spent all this time getting Skype to work. I put my heart and soul into getting Skype working tonight. I could have done the show without Skype. But I knew there would be a situation like this that would come up where I'd want to make a phone call and I would feel handcuffed. So, therefore, uh, I'm going to use my Skype and make this call out. So I feel like I've done my work properly and I get a reward for it. And probably my reward will be nobody answering the phone. Oh, well. Hello, Mr. hello, Mr. Witella. Oh, hi. hi. <laughs> okay, so I'm glad you answered the phone. Hello, uh, Kim Shannon. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio. I, I knew you were listening, but I wasn't sure if you were in the mood to talk at the moment. I, I have a few questions for you here uh, regarding sure. your blog, and uh, maybe you can explain them to the public. I I know that you wrote at the end, you know, this is the last comment I'll make, et cetera, et cetera. But you know, I I fell in this trap myself. Uh, I I was in a dispute with a former partner that I had on another website, and uh, uh, it eventually went public, and. I would make statements and I'd say, okay, this is the last time I'm going to talk about it. Let's talk about other things. And then someone would question what I wrote. And then I'd feel like I have to respond again, because otherwise it looks like I'm avoiding the question. So unfortunately in these situations, it can be difficult to just make one statement and then go quiet. So, uh, that's why I'm calling you here for a few clarifications, if you don't mind. Sure. Okay. So, uh, first, what I said earlier before reading the second half of your blog, uh, it seems that you agree that six hundred dollars for three months, which is eighteen hundred dollars, plus five hundred for uh, uh, some personal loan she made to you, makes twenty three hundred. It seems that you believe at a minimum twenty three hundred is owed. Is this true? Correct. Okay, so you've paid every debt to everyone that you've owed, except for her, according to your blog. Mm-hmm. Uh, why don't you just make an, an effort, and like a true effort here, like immediately, to start paying at the very least 2300 and – Well, I will
1: actually – I can answer that question for you. I, I can actually send you right now uh, a screenshot of the conversations that we've been having um, for the past couple of weeks. I have offered her a third of my whopping salary, which is not much, um, and she has declined it. Hmm. I I have been sending her $50 a week anyway. At the time, it was a third of my salary. Um, She found that to be not good enough. She actually said, Well, I need to talk to my lawyer to find out if you're married because then I'll have to obviously his income will come into play. It's always something. No matter what I offer, it's not good enough. I've offered her cash at times that I've seen her. She's refused it because it wasn't the entire amount.
0: Well, so that's I, the question here. Is she is she with. actually refusing partial payments? Is she saying either pay me a full five thousand or fifty five
1: hundred? And I can send you the receipts, sure.
0: I mean, like, like, like I I can ask her about it. I can say, hey, Amanda, are you refusing partial payment? I I think refusing partial payment...
1: I'll send you the screenshot right now that
0: she refused it. She said it wasn't good enough. The only way I wouldn't accept partial payment from someone from any debt owed to me would be if I'm accepting the partial payment with the agreement that that's it. I can understand how she doesn't agree with the amount that she'd say no, but if you're saying look, I'm going to send you this much or I'm going to send you this much every so often, and when we get to the amount I feel I owe you, then I'm going to stop and we'll figure out the rest. Uh, I think that's a good starting point. If she's refusing that, then then I agree she's being unreasonable. But I, I think up till there, I think that should be done.
1: Uh, it's absolutely been done, and she has been receiving uh, payments for the past three weeks. <clears throat> she still has not. She still keeps saying, well, we're going to bring it to court because it's not good enough, and – you know now, obviously, I'm left with with the thought, well, what am I sending her money for? She's still dragging me to court. Like, it, it's just it, it's this this kind of uh, you know combativeness is what's kept this debt ongoing mm-hmm. for so long. Like I said, in the past 18 months, I've managed to pay off all of my outstanding debt. Um, I am completely free and clear. I don't owe anybody a nickel. Um, and the only reason this debt has not been paid is because we just can't come to an agreement.
0: Okay, now. Um, I have a a separate question here. Uh, She posted some screenshots of you responding to her when she refers to the 5K or the 5,500. And in these screenshots, and I know you didn't – I didn't see the whole thing. I know you're saying she sent partial screenshots. But unless she cut and paste things, it did look like that she would say, where's the 5,000? And you'd say back, oh, I'll get it to you soon or something along those lines. So why wasn't there ever something like – no, I don't owe you $5,000. i will send you such and such. Like, why Why would you ever respond back with, where's the 5000 with, oh, I'll send it soon, if that's not really what you owed?
1: The screenshot that she sent was from, like, a year ago. Um, and at the time, any communication that I had with her was just met with, like, ultimate... Um, it, it, it just became very... Uh, there was a lot of conflict. It would go on, on for hours. When she said... Um, you know, you owe me 5000 just give me 2500 blah, blah, blah. I said to her in that conversation that she posted partially, um, half of the balance sounds fair. We can discuss it when I see you. When I saw her, and I, I will send all of these screenshots to you. It was a part of what I've been compiling for you all day. When I arrived at the Borgata during that, that time frame, <clears throat> she was supposed to meet up with me at the end of the day in the signature room. The next day she texted me and said, oh, sorry, I forgot. So she, and I was gone. I was already gone. So that was her. I, I, I wasn't prepared to pay her, obviously, 2500 because it's not half the balance. But what I agreed to was half the balance sounds fair. I never said, uh, you know, I, I concur that it's $5,000. Anytime I would try to argue the amount with her via text. It just would go nowhere. So my, my ultimate goal at that time was to sit down and have a conversation face-to-face with her. At the time, she was somewhere in, in Philadelphia, and I was in New England. So we never, ever had the opportunity to sit face-to-face. Okay, now, she also says, yeah, listen.
0: Now, I was going to say, uh, I was just thinking of something as you were uh, telling me about this. In her blog, she had this story about you that, uh, like a lot of other things she wrote about, didn't look very good. For you, where she said that you were supposedly going to pay her the money, but that somehow the money disappeared, you lost the money. And uh, did this? Did anything like this ever happen? Did you ever have money that you were going to go deposit in her account, regardless of how much it was, and that the money just disappeared? Did she make the whole story up, or did something like this actually happen?
1: No, no, she didn't. She didn't make the story up. She embellished the story. But the actual story is that um at the time she she's also said on numerous occasions in different posts that I was not working, I was making no effort to make any money. Completely untrue. At the time I was doing freelance work for both PokerStrategy.com dot com and uh the Borgata Brook and Mortar Casino. Um I was waiting for payments from both of those uh jobs. PokerStrategy <clears> poker strategy was um uh, having a hard time getting my money transferred to me because of international, like, wire transfer issues and stuff. My PayPal account had been temporarily suspended because of all the address changes that I had. And I do have screenshots of all of this as well to, to you know, uh, back up what I'm telling you. Um, I had expressed to her that I was really concerned I wasn't going to be able to get my payment um, because I didn't have international banking numbers. And she said, well, you can use my account anytime you need it. After going back and forth with poker strategy and realizing that I wasn't going to get my money from them anytime soon, I said to her, you know what, I think I'm just going to have to break down and call my dad and ask him for a loan. If he'll transfer it, can I have it transferred to your account? She said yes. That's what that screenshot was that said, did you get anything in your account? He said he was going to transfer 5 k That's what that screenshot is. That's what that's all about. As far as um, the story about losing money in a casino, I lost money in a poker game. So I don't know if she understood it out of context or if she purposely embellished the story, which she has done lots of in this you know,
0: saga. Okay, um, so, so the chat yeah. room is asking, and I, I thought the same thing when I just got this. Uh, why would your father send her 5K if uh, you didn't know 5K?
1: No, for, for me, just to have, for money. I had no money. I was broke, down and out and nothing. And this was like in, I don't know, October, November. The lease didn't end until February. Uh, and We had agreed that I would pay her at the end of the term of the lease. But because I was having difficulty getting my money from both of the jobs that I was working for, I was starting to get concerned, like, oh, when this sense, am I going to be okay to pay her? That's when I said, you know what, I better break down and ask my dad for a loan. It wasn't a loan to pay her. It was a loan for myself. Yeah. Which, by the way, he never... By the way, he never ended up sending it, so... Yeah, well, she she it.
0: mentioned that in the blog, too, but... Uh, okay, so so you're saying that... Now, but how do you lose the money in the poker game? If you owed her money and, and she was supposed to meet you, why why were you playing poker with that money? No, she was,
1: she was on vacation. She was in the middle of, you know, working stuff out with her boyfriend. She was out, you know, it was holidays, and she wasn't... It was like a two-and-a-half-week stretch. She wasn't even home. Um... And I was in a poker game, and people assume that if they see you in a poker room playing, like, I was in a 125K guarantee last week, and people were commenting, oh, or, or I think you read a comment on your show. Oh, the bitch is in a 125K guarantee. Well, well, I hope she pays a man or she wins or something like that. They assume that you're playing with your own money, which is an assumption.
0: Yeah, well... um Someone named uh, S Double here. He's a listener. He, he wants to call in and, and ask a few things himself. Uh, and I, I don't want to blindside people who call into the, you know call into the show or who I call it to interview about these things. So, do, do you want this guy's uh, call to be put on here?
1: I mean, look. The reason why I'm not posting screenshots on my blog for the public, and the reason why I'm not going to respond to the public is that these trolls are insane. The barrage of ugly texts that I received to my personal phone number, to my personal email. I don't know how they got my personal information. Well, actually, I do know how they got my personal information. Um, but it's absolutely insane. I don't know this guy. I don't know what he wants to ask me, but I will respond to you and you only.
0: Okay. Well, all right. Yeah, I, I know the chat room sometimes wants to hear, like, like, the maximum drama. But, yeah, anybody wants to come on this show, I don't want to uh... – I, I don't want to reward people with coming on the show with uh, you know, a barrage of people calling and, and bashing them, even if you feel it's rightful to do so. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean,
1: you know what, you know what, Tom? There's there's people out there that don't like me, and they are. I will defend until my death their right to not like me. I I can't expect everybody to like yeah, me. Yeah, I'll, I'll let you, I'll, I'll I, let
0: as double call in by the way after you uh, hang up. So I'm not going to censor him. I'm just going to separate it. So yeah, anyway. that's
1: fine. I mean, if he has a question that he wants to ask me. He's more than welcome to ask me through you, but I refuse to like engage people that are strangers. That I, I don't have to defend myself to strangers. I'm defending myself to you because you're the poker fraud alert guy. You've disgusted on your show. You're the only person, um, in the media, who had the courtesy to approach me to comment. Um, I'm disgusted by the way Card Player and uh, Poker Fuse handled it. I just, you know. Finally posting this blog with the, with the headline that says Kim Shannon is a scammer without bothering to contact, uh, contact me for comment. Um, and just the, the forum trolls and the mom mentality, it's, just, it's disgusting. And I'm really bitter about it. Well,
0: really okay. bitter about it. Okay. So <laughs> this,
1: this, was, this was like, I was in a really, really bad spot, Todd. And when I met Amanda, we really made, very, we made friends really quickly. And the way that she, and we were close, like really super close. And, um, which is why I'm hesitant sometimes to post a lot of stuff because conversations that we had are conversations between us and they're intimate and private, you know? Um, but you know, the way that she's handling this and and by the way, this is not the first time that she's lost her mind in a fit of like frustration and posted drama all over the internet for the whole world to stay. Like this is her MO. And I just never thought that I would be a victim of it. I have absolutely tried everything I can to get this settled with her. And up until, like, just days before um, she went on, you know, uh, on the the offensive online, um, I was trying to work out some kind of thing arrangement, and she just refuses every attempt I make. And I will send you for sure those screenshots. Like, I have said to her, this is what I make. I will send you one-third of that, which is so generous, considering the fact that she has pretty much dragged me through the mud for the past two and a half weeks.
0: Well, okay.
1: Um, it's, it's relentless. I mean, and she refuses it. I'll and ask her I'll
0: ask it. her about that. I don't I don't see the point of refusing money provided she doesn't have to you know, that money doesn't come along with agreeing she wants that me to uh,
1: drive to Philadelphia and sign contracts with a four hundred dollar an hour lawyer. I, I'm not I'm not doing that. If there was no contract in place at the time of our agreement. Well, I, I think <laughs> I I think look,
0: if 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 you're willing to send money no matter what it is, if you're willing to send money uh and with no condition on it just uh here's money i owe money take it uh she should accept that that's for sure so i'll actually ask her she
1: should i'll ask her
0: directly money. i'll ask her directly about it and then uh you know we'll see what happens here uh, i've even like on two plus two before um had nothing to do with you it was a, a while back but uh there were people who you know, one owed the other and and you know one was saying well i couldn't pay you for this reason and that reason and this bank had problem that bank had problem i finally said look i, I don't know either of you guys well but uh I just want to see this resolved. So you guys know I'm not going to scam anyone here. So the guy who's supposed to pay, you know, the one who owes the money, I have a lot of different banks, choose one of them put it in my account, then I'll send it to the other guy. Then there's no complication, no problems. Like, like I'm always happy to be an intermediary for these things, and everyone knows I'm not going to rip anyone off. I've been part of the poker community here for uh, almost 14 years, and there hasn't been one accusation against me ever. There's been a lot of people who dislike me for other reasons, bash me for other reasons, but everybody, even the people who dislike me, uh, have always said that I'm one of the most honest and trustworthy people in poker. So everyone knows I don't scam anyone. So I'm like, look, if anyone has a debt that they want to pay off to someone else they owe and they're having trouble getting the money to that person for whatever reason i think like, you can even send it to me i have so many different ways to pay me and then i can send it to that person and and they know they'll get it so if you want to do that you can do that too and
1: uh oh i definitely appreciate that offer but but to be 100 percent honest with you i'm in a much better spot now i've i'm not rich by any stretch of the word but i'm not um out to it up and pissing through a hundred thousand dollar bankroll in a year and i uh, making bad decisions, um, and I do have a bank account. Well, you know, collectively as a family, we have a bank account, and she's set up on auto payments, and she's been receiving payments for the past
0: three weeks. So, so, so you've her, actually sent her I money. To... How much money has she received yeah, from you?
1: Um, so $50 a week. I told her I'll send her $50 a week until the desk pays. So she's received, she has
0: received $150 from you so far?
1: Um, yes since this dispute, yeah. And previous to that, I also transferred her money, and I can send you the PayPal receipt, um, and the email messages attached. I sent her money for the cigarette she's claiming I owe. Like, I mean, I know what I owe. Admittedly, we never um, put a dollar figure on the social media work that we did, and that was, you know, naive on my part, and probably on hers, too. Like, you know, we were friends and we trusted each other. Like, we'll work it out. And when it ended badly, it didn't get worked out. And this is the problem. So, if anything comes from this, I think that I, I really want to stress to people that the importance of getting any agreement that you make with somebody, whether it's poker related. And this is not totally non-poker related. Which let me just let me just give you my commentary on that for a second. The way um, this is clearly a dispute. I, I didn't scam anybody. She offered me a place to stay. I stayed. It, she hasn't gotten the rent money, but she wasn't scammed. I've never denied owing her money. I've acknowledged that I owe her the debt from the very beginning. This is a
0: dispute. Well, okay, and the way it's
1: been blown up as a, Kim Shannon as a scammer is absolutely ridiculous. Okay, I'll go this. But, I'll go this far with it. That. I,
0: I I agree that this isn't. This is not what would be really classified as a scam because uh, th- this is more of a, of a bad debt. At, and I'll, I'll agree with that. That uh, a scam is more of when you're getting money from someone with a story no, about count, uh, how they'll, they'll get paid they back or, and then they don't actually get paid, such as, uh, you know, you could even classify like what Eric Lindgren and Chino Reem were doing as scams where they would borrow money under false pretenses when they actually can't pay back. Like I classify those things as scams uh, as far as uh, staying with someone and saying, uh, you know, I'll pay you the rent when I get back on my feet and then just never paying them. I, I don't feel that's right. And I think that's uh, – I think this should have been paid a long time ago, at least partially, but at the very least, I'll say this wasn't a scam I wouldn't call this a scam, but I will say that uh there's definitely money here at, at the minimum twenty one fifty that's owed uh that needs to be paid and has been dragging on for a long time but I, I will ask Amanda about you know accepting partial And she has been receiving fifty dollars a week at least, like at least if that ca- continues. For several weeks, for many weeks, and eventually it knocks out $2,100 or $2,300 there, uh, that'll be a start. And I think that...
1: That's a big start, especially since it's excluding all of the social media work that I did. Yeah, and 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 I I think that needs to be... I told her that since she claims I owe her all this money for these random things, let's call it a chop. I'll... I'll waive the social media work. You waive all that other ridiculous absurdity and we'll just call it the $300 well, I, I cash loan.
0: I don't think that's necessarily the right... You can't just chop that. You have to figure out truthfully what's owed. Like, a, like I'm not saying... And, and,
1: I, and it's, it, it can't be resolved, which is why I was more than welcome to take it to court and let a judge figure it out. Yeah, and, and I've made this all very clear to her. I've I've been very transparent. I've, I've been upfront with her. When she said that, you know, she saw me at the... Forgot it and yelled across the room, "Hey Kim Shannon, you got my money," and I never heard from me again. She never told people that she was texting the wrong number. Like any time she contacts me, I answer her right away. In fact, when I said to her, "Todd, Amanda, look, I'm going to send you money. This is all I can afford." She tried to negotiate with me. Well, I think you should pay a hundred. And what about your husband's income? And blah blah blah. Are you married? And blah blah blah. I said, Amanda, I'm telling you that I can afford $50 a week. That's what I can afford. You're asking me to, you know, you say that all you want is some kind of an agreement to make a, a payment arrangement. I'm trying to do that, and you're, you're cop blocking me. And um, that's when she said, well, I'm going to get my lawyer to draw a contract, and this is going to take too long, and blah, 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 blah. Um, but I've been sending the money anyway, and my intent is to pay it until what I feel the debt is is paid, which is actually in 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 – in reality, less than twenty three hundred dollars because you have to factor in that social media work. I didn't just do that and 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 I gotta tell you, Todd, I would have when when we originally discussed this social media arrangement it 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 began when I asked her at the time she was a WPT once to watch and she was getting a lot of media attention and she just had that amazing World Series and the national championships and all that. And I asked her just out of curiosity, why don't you have a, a website or somewhere people can go and get staking information and stuff like that? And she told me that she was um, in negotiations with some web designer um, who – they were, like, butting heads. He didn't – you know, she didn't like his creative ideas, and he didn't get her. And um, then she told me the, um, like, outrageous fee that he was going to charge. By the way, was his fucking... name
0: uh, – was his name Zach Hart by any chance? No, it was Mansfield. I remember Mansfield. I don't know if that's the okay. first or last
1: um, and I said to her, "Don't, don't. That's a ridiculous figure. Don't pay that. I'll do, I'll do it for you. That's what I do." And when I said that, I meant I'll do it because I, w- I was so grateful to have for her to, you know, let me just crash at her house and, and wait to be paid until the end of the lease. Um, I would have just done that. And it was she who suggested, "You know what? If you just take on all of my projects, we can work something out as a partial barber to the rent." She didn't say it would, you know, squash the rent. Um, but, you know, she said we'd work it out and we'd make an arrangement to, you know, to take it off the rent. Um, and we we never came to, like, a, a, a set figure on that, and we never got any of this in writing. And um, this is what happens when, when stuff like that occurs. But I have always acknowledged that I owe her a debt. It took me a very long time to get back on my feet, especially after finding out um, at this late stage in the game that I was pregnant. <clears throat> um, I was recovering from the $100,000 uh, lost to my bankroll, um, partially due to my own degeneracy and partially due to financing somebody else's and paying off their debt. Yeah. Um, and it took me a long time to get back on my feet. I owed a lot of other people and I was still very bitter about the way she threw me out with zero notice. Like all the stuff she says in my blog, I was, I was getting concerned and I wasn't comfortable having her there. Complete bullshit. We were. uh, If you go on my YouTube channel, like in in mid December, she came home with a Christmas tree and built me a little laptop fireplace, and you know, like things never changed. And it was only when she decided she was going to have Ryan move back in on the 26th that she decided to throw me out on the 25th, and I was super bitter about it, and found myself right back in the same spot with very little money and having to skulk to my parents after never having to ask them for anything in 42 years.
0: Yeah, um, um, I, I have a question for you here. Um, have you considered going on one of these uh, court shows <laughs> like a uh, judge Judy or judge Mathis or something and having them decide? Not. No,
1: absolutely not. I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I'm already disgusted that this has been made public. Like this could have been handled very discreetly and privately, whether we went to court or not. Um, I've, I've always been, but they'll usually, you know, they'll pay very,
0: the, they'll pay your judgment. That's a good thing. Like you won't owe the money.
1: Sure. And then the entire country can make judgments about my character. <laughs> absolutely not. I've, okay. I've, um, no, I've I've had enough with this whole just from the forum people. But no, I and plus those shows are, are um, just they make you dumb. Plus, okay. I really I doubt she would want to drag this into um, Judge Judy. And and if the judge said, listen, we decided that you owe her five thousand dollars, then I would pay her the five thousand dollars.
0: Well, I was and gonna I say that's a good thing. The, the show her. will pay her the five thousand then. And uh, you know, I actually uh, I think it would be a, a good. I think they probably would want this because it's got a few interesting angles. It's uh, two poker players, two female poker players. Uh, the whole thing, I think, would be entertaining for the general public to watch. This is more entertaining than your like standard one roommate owes another thing. This like has the, the, the two female poker player angle to it, and I, I think there's a lot of stuff here.
1: I mean, it, you know what? Uh, let, me, let me make this statement. If she would retract the Kim Shannon as a scammer, and take down all the nastiness and ugly like rumors, like this child support thing, give me a break. I have some phantom abandoned child out there. Like That's just all so ridiculous, and, it, and it's been hurtful. And, and the comments that I've received in relation to that are just, you can't even imagine. Um, if she would retract all of that, and you know what? I know Amanda wants money. Amanda likes money. She's not shy about admitting that. If she retracts all of those things and removes all of that nasty shit, I might consider going
0: on Judge Judy there it is I said it <laughs> okay well that's, that's good to hear maybe uh, maybe that there's an episode in the future in fact I I know somebody uh, who lives in Vegas that really has a connection to a lot of these shows he, he gets on tons of these types of shows himself and gets other people on these shows but uh, I, I have a feeling that Amanda probably wouldn't want to but who knows uh, anyway uh, I, I would love to see that episode that would be a, a treat for me for sure so okay. anyway
1: Judy's mean I'm scared
0: I, I hope that you work this out. I hope that this at least gets partially settled. And I, I think that at the very least, doing the maximum you can to get the debt paid that you do owe, that in your opinion that you owe, I think is is the first step. And I think that's also the first step to restoring any reputational hits you took – From this and that you can point to, look, I paid what I owed and she thinks I owe more. And here's why I don't think I owe more on these other issues, on the the remainder. This is why I don't think I owe this, but I paid what I felt I owed and the rest. It's, uh, you know, she can sue me for that, but I don't agree. I owe that much. And then I think people can.
1: The way we left it was that I said, look, I'm just going to continue to send this 50 dollars per week. Um, she said, you know, you have to sign contracts with my lawyer, and if you refuse to do that, we're going to be right back where we started. I'm taking you to court. And I said, well, I'm going to continue to send this $50 a week. I do not want to hear from you again unless it's to tell me that you've changed banks. If you need to, if you decide that you want to bring me to court, have your attorney contact me, and I will give him my home address and arrange a time to be served. Um, I did hear your comment about the, you know, the way it, it works she told me that herself and i said well if that's the case i'm very reluctant to give you any more personal information but have your attorney contact me and i'll tell him anything he wants to know um and in the meantime i'll just assume that you're going to settle for what i can afford this is the best i can do and i'm 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 trying i can't do anything other than the best i can do okay. and this is what i've been trying to do right. since i've been able and and have been met with opposition well i will
0: I, I will give her these messages and see what i get back and and by the way i I have to say when I first heard this baby story and I've mentioned this before that that you're 44 years old and to have had a a, a newborn child here that's actually pretty amazing to me to uh that most women can't do that. So
1: yeah, I was a little bit um I was a little concerned. I did um actually go um you know for a barrage of tests just to make sure I was concerned, you know, you hear stories about down syndrome and chromosomal disorders and stuff So I well, That's that's very common at that testing. age. Yeah. Yeah, all kinds of stuff. And, so, you, so you had a healthy, <laughs> you had a healthy
0: baby at age forty-four.
1: Healthy baby at age forty-four. Yeah. Wow. So, yay me. Yeah.
0: Hmm.
1: It's it's amazing. I being a mom has completely changed my outlook on life, which is why I really just want to get this settled. I don't want to argue with Amanda. I don't think we're ever going to be best friends again. Um, clearly, no. But, I don't think that will happen. Know, I, I don't want to. I don't want to swing venom at her. I don't want her swinging venom at me. I just want to get myself um, situated so that there's nothing hanging over my head and I don't have to be distracted from doing my job which is being
0: a a good mom. So. Okay. Well all right well thank you for calling in and uh you know we'll let the listener decide what they think and I'll be in contact with Amanda to see if she is uh interested in uh receiving these partial payments and maybe coming to at least some uh partial agreement here. Okay. Thanks Todd. All right, thank you. So Kim Shannon coming on the show defending herself and S-Double, if you want to call in here, you're welcome to. I know you have a lot to say on the subject, and you can get this out. I only didn't answer your call, S-Double, because I I don't want the show to have a pattern of where the guests get blindsided, even guests that people don't like. So I want the guests to be able to come on and just speak with me, and then anyone else who has comments about those guests is welcome to call up and make those comments. I don't want to censor anyone's point of view. But uh, we'll see. I, I think really in this whole matter that the most important thing is, number one, to get the amount they both agree is owed paid. And I know in the money that's owed to me, unfortunately not that much, but there is some money here and there owed to me. If these people were to send me any money tomorrow, I'd have a big smile on my face. Even if it's like 10% of it, I'd have a big smile on my face just that I'm getting something because with these people, I've written them off. And I think that they've stiffed me and I'll never get anything out of them. So anything I get is considered like a bonus to me. So I think that's how anybody feels that's been owed a debt for a long time. So I think if... Amanda gets 2,300 while she will still feel she got stiffed out of 3,000. I think it'll make her feel a little bit better. And then from that point, they can have a discussion of the remainder of why it's actually owed. And I can't really judge that part of it without knowing more detail. And uh, I will say that the text messages I've seen from Kim to Amanda from that original blog, seemed to indicate at some point uh, Kim seemed to be agreeable to pay that amount of money, but yeah, maybe she thought about it again and changed her mind. Who knows what it was? I'm not trying to defend her here. I'm just saying that uh, it's time to kind of start again from square one. Because just them fighting back and forth is not going to accomplish anything. And I think if part of the debt gets paid, then something's been accomplished. And then if from there it can be better figured out what should really be owed, then that's the second part being accomplished. And forgetting about everything up till now, I think that's the best way to handle it. Okay, so if anybody wants to call 775-Fraud55, 775-372-8355 here on Poker Fraud Alert Radio trying to make peace and quell the catfights within the poker community. It's our public service here. Genocide. As far as I know, she hasn't answered me. I I tried to ask her. Let's see. Did she answer me? Uh, No. Let me tell you what's going on here. Genocide dropped kind of a bomb on her Twitter. Now, if you don't know who I'm talking about here, I'm talking about Jennifer Lee, who goes by the name Genocide. She's in her early 30s now, believe it or not. And I think she's actually 30, not early 30s. But uh, she goes back to the fairly older days of online poker, like around 04. And she appeared in Playboy in a pictorial, which they featured her because she was a poker player. Uh, She's dated Dustin Neverwin-Wolf and uh, Tommy Boy Coral and a few other people in poker. I, it's it's kind of hard to describe genocide. Uh, we've kind of had a mixed relationship as far as how we get along. Uh, sometimes we get along very well and are very friendly to one another. Uh, sometimes we're not, though in recent times we've been uh, pretty friendly. We've never been good friends or anything, but uh, I like she tweeted to me last year when I made the final table of the 10K limit. She tweeted me good luck and, you know, just did that out of nowhere. So I appreciated that. So I'm I'm not anti genocide by any means. Uh, But at the same time, genocide can be kind of odd sometimes. She can be kind of unpredictable. She can uh, be sometimes a little bit difficult to follow and understand at times. And it's not because she's stupid. She's not a dumb girl. She's actually a pretty smart girl. And and she looks good. You know, Genocide is a pretty girl. She's, uh, she seems pretty smart. Uh, but uh, sometimes she's a little bit out there. And some of you have seen examples of that. Well, here's another example. On August 19th, she tweeted for the first time in 15 days. And I don't follow her Twitter closely enough to see how often she tweets, but it seems like semi-regularly. Like, yeah, sometimes she lets a few weeks go in between. So that, that doesn't mean that much that 15 days pass. But she her last tweet was August 4th. Then August 19th was her next tweet. And she wrote, Anyone have any good book recommendations on hospital bed rest? For a pretty long time. Uh oh. Whoa. Hospital bed rest for a long time. No horror please. Hospitals are scary enough. Well then she sent another one four days later. I'll moved into my cozy new place for another eight to ten weeks. Love the view, stir crazy, but making the best of it. And she posted a picture of, it doesn't look like a typical hospital room. It looks a little bigger than that. It has like, it looks like it has a little refrigerator there. Like one of those small cube refrigerators. It's about a few feet high. Uh, it has a, like a reclining chair. It has another little chair you can sit on. It has uh it almost looks like a mini apartment or like a studio apartment from what I could see in this picture. And it's obviously not a traditional hospital room because a stay in a traditional hospital room for eight to 10 weeks would be really, really expensive. And they wouldn't leave someone in there for that, for that long unless they had something really, really serious going on. So I'm not sure what kind of hospital this is, but, uh, whatever. It's some kind of recovery place at the very least. And I do see some medical equipment in the background. So it's not just a place where she's resting. It's not like rehab or something, as far as I can tell. It really does look like some sort of place you would be doing hospital bed rest. And I don't know what to say about this. Now, she also tweeted, and I can't find it now. That's so weird, I can't find it. But I know someone made a copy of it on Poker Fraud Alert, even if I can't find it. it's weird, it's gone. Okay, let me tell you the deleted tweet that I don't see anymore. Yeah, it's gone. Weird. Well, I'll read it to you anyway. <laughs> it's even more interesting now that it's gone. This is the weirdest part. Fortunately, we save everything I'm Poker Fraud Alert here. Always save the good stuff. You never know if it'll uh, disappear. This was thankfully saved by Willie McFML, who then copied it over to Poker Fraud Alert. Yeah, the tweet's gone, for sure. I just verified it. August 19th, at Gecko247, not sure who that is, but someone she's talking to. Haha, ha, this is just for Anya for now. Blinking out all her baby stuff since we're making history here and case studies all over. What? This is just for Anya now, blinging out all her baby stuff, since we're making history here and case studies all over. So now it sounds like she's pregnant. But why would she be on eight to ten weeks of hospital bed rest for being pregnant? And why are there case studies all over and why is she making history? Did perhaps Genocide get pregnant without having sex? Does she have the second coming of Christ in her womb? Was this an immaculate conception?
1: <laughs> I mean,
0: you can laugh, but uh, it's so weird. And she's never talked before on her Twitter about this Anya. She's never said, oh, you know, I'm pregnant with baby Anya. Like nothing. This just kind of hits us out of the blue. And then she deleted the tweet. Now, I sent her a Twitter message. I sent her a tweet and said you know, can you tell us what this is about? A polite tweet. I said, you know, whatever's wrong with you, good luck in getting better. Uh, And I was hoping she'd give me a response, but I got nothing. And then maybe that's what encouraged her to delete the Anya tweet, but really weird. Really weird. So she was very public on her public Twitter about the fact that she is on hospital bed rest for eight to 10 weeks, was even asking for book suggestions but then deleted the tweet she sent about this Anya and about case studies all over. This is so odd. Let's see if her Facebook has anything. Now, she's not a Facebook friend. Um, no, nothing up there. Actually, you know what? This may not be a... I think it's a different genocide. I think it's a different Jennifer Lee, that is. Uh, yeah, I found her. No, nothing. Actually, I think there's like a few fake genocides on uh, on Facebook. Well, wait, I'm not going to search it out during this show. But if any of you know, let me know. Unless it's like a big secret. Like... Whenever I do segments like these, I feel kind of funny. Uh, Like, I I don't want to air someone's dirty laundry up here or make light of them being in the hospital if they don't want that known. But she tweeted it out on her public Twitter account, so I thought that was a perfectly legitimate topic for discussion. But then she strangely uh, deleted that tweet about Anya. You, You never know with genocide. You just never know. You can never quite put your finger on what's going on with her. I don't think she means badly, but you can never quite figure out what's the story with her. Flipper Fair in the chat room is postulating that she is getting a sex change. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be honest, I think you'd be better off getting a male-to-female sex change in poker. I think you'll get yourself more opportunities that way. You know, the sponsorship dollars have not come very generously for me. I've considered it before. I've considered uh, switching around there. But uh, I abandoned those plans and I realized I wouldn't be a very pretty girl. So, moving along here, uh, state legislatures are getting together to oppose a possible national ban on online poker. You know about Sheldon Adelson and his attempts to bankroll groups that will be opposing the upcoming legalization and existing legalization at the state level of online poker. Sheldon Adelson wants all that undone. He wants no more legalized online poker in New Jersey, Nevada, Delaware, or anywhere. He wants it all gone. Well, the state legislatures, including ones that have not even considered online poker yet, have said enough is enough, that... Whether we want online poker or not, we don't want the federal government nosing in and telling us what we can and cannot do in our own states. This is a states' rights issue, they said. The uh, National Conference of State Legislatures, known as the NCSL, uh, has approved a formal resolution protesting the federal efforts to implement a ban on online gaming. So... uh, The NCSL, the National Conference of State Legislatures, is protesting the federal government's attempt in some ways to ban online gaming within state borders. Uh, They're basically demanding that the federal legislatures adhere to the state's rights sovereignty when it comes to gambling matters. Because if you remember, uh, each state – has a right to set their own gambling rules. That's why Nevada has gambling. That's why New Jersey has gambling in Atlantic City only. That's why many other states have gambling in Indian casinos only. That's why even other states have gambling as long as the casino is a certain distance from the water. A lot of different rules about when gambling is and isn't allowed, but it's always been up to the individual states. So you have states like Nevada, where there's full gambling allowed, including sports betting. You have many other states where there's limited gambling allowed. And then you have two states where there are no forms of gambling allowed of any kind, including lotteries, and that's Utah and Hawaii. Those are the two states that are very anti-gambling. And then from there, you you have various states in the middle. Uh, The NCSL also said that um, the federal bills that were proposed by Lindsey Graham of South Carolina as a senator and uh, Jason Chaffetz from Utah that uh, would reinterpret the 1961 Wire Act to include all forms of gambling rather than just sports betting, uh, that, uh, that they don't like that either. In 2011, 50 years after the 1961 Wire Act was passed, and by the way, 1961, of course, there was no internet yet, Uh, in 2011, the Department of Justice clarified that the Wire Act was only about sports betting. So it could not be used to go after other forms of gambling, that 1961 Wire Act. So they don't want it reinterpreted to include everything. This is what it said in the NCSL resolution. This is all great stuff, by the way. This is all very good that the states are basically telling the federal government, back off, leave us alone. We will decide. If we will have online gambling, you will not decide for us. So that's good. It says, whereas the National Conference of State Legislatures believes the federal government must respect the sovereignty of states to allow or prohibit internet gambling by its residents. And whereas the 2011 ruling of the United States Justice Department on the Federal Wire Act of 1961 clarifies that the intrastate, that's intrastate meaning within the same state, online gambling is lawful. Any effort by Congress or the administration to reverse this ruling is preemptive and dismisses the flexibility of state legislatures to be innovative and responsive to the unique needs of the residents of each state. Basically, they're saying if we need the gambling revenue and we want online gambling to get us some extra gambling revenue, we have a right to do it. So leave us alone. They go on to write, now therefore be it resolved, I like that language, now therefore be it resolved that the NCSL requests Congress consider the perspective of the states as it examines this issue and asks that it involve state legislatures in any federal efforts that seek to reform the regulation of online gambling. NCSL strongly opposes any effort by the federal government to overturn the Justice Department's ruling or consideration of legislation overruling state authority by legalizing or regulating gambling at the federal level. NCSL also requests that federal lawmakers be respectful of state legislatures that prohibit online gambling or other forms of gambling within their state. So it's interesting. They're they're going the other way, too. They're saying if you legalize it, do not overrule us if we want to make it illegal. Just leave it up to us. If we want it legal, let us do it. If we want it illegal in our state, let us do that too. But just butt out federally. So that's happening. And uh, we will see uh, what would happen here. But this resolution is not necessarily pro-online gambling. It's more pro each state deciding what it wants to do, which I think is the right thing. So the NCSL actually is fine with the online gambling that exists in Nevada, New Jersey, and Delaware, and is also fine with a state like Utah that has already banned online gambling for their state. They just want each state to be able to determine it. So we'll see where that goes. Good news, though. On the same topic, or a similar topic, on the legalization front California remember I told you that we're going to be waiting until 2016 to play online poker well unfortunately that's still true but but here's some good news maybe Uh, the way the California legislative session works is that on August 31st they stop passing new laws they stop proposing new bills any bill that is not passed by August 31st uh, either dies or gets tabled for the next year. Uh, the reason they do this is because they want some time to implement it. So the months after August 31st, between that and the end of the year, uh, is, is where they work on implementing whatever was passed. And then usually they take effect January 1st the following year. That's how California works. So if a law allowing online poker within the state of California were to be passed in 2014, it would have to be done by august 31st which is unfortunately five days from now so there is no way they're going to hammer all this out in five days they realized this a few weeks ago and they said you know what we have some online poker bills on the table but there's no way we're going to get the whole thing hashed out completely by august 31st there's no way we can get a bill that's acceptable by august 31st so uh, we're going to have to drop this until 2015 which is disappointing but um, it, it makes sense how it happened so there was some fear that perhaps that was the end of it, that maybe in January when they reconvene, that they're not going to bother with this again, that it had its time and it came and went. Well, it looks like that's probably not true. Uh, Reginald Byron Jones Sawyer Sr., that's some name, uh, he's announced that uh, submitting a new bill during the early 2015 session will be one of his top priorities. Uh, He had a previous bill, AB 2291 in California, but uh, he will reintroduce a bill, a new one, in 2015. And uh, also, in addition to submitting new legislation in early 2015 – Uh, He also said that we're going to make sure that any bad actor language is written so it is applied fairly and avoids any possible future legal challenges. So what he's trying to say here is that the bad actor clause they were trying to put in was to keep poker stars out. Basically, they were going to say anyone who was still offering poker after the UIGEA against U.S. law uh, will not be allowed in the legalized California market, which would shut out poker stars. Uh, he's saying that they're going to change that to where poker stars would not be able to sue them and claim that this language was designed to specifically exclude them because they're not allowed to do that. They cannot write a bill around excluding a certain company because uh, that starts to be anti-competitive and they're not allowed to do that. And it could be legally challenged. Such a bill. So they're going to be careful on the 2015 version of the bill that they're probably going to tone down or generalize the bad actor language so it won't just be targeting poker stars. It'll be maybe catching a wider range or maybe a narrower range, but something that isn't just poker star specific or very clearly poker star specific. So this way the bill would hold up if poker stars were to sue them. So it looks like they're probably going to try to still keep out PokerStars in my opinion. I just think they're going to maybe find a way to keep out other sites by making it not just be against PokerStars, but maybe broaden the whole thing so PokerStars can't cry foul that they are being targeted. Now, it's been my opinion, by the way, that PokerStars should be shut out or at the very least delayed in entering the market because they did get an unfair competitive advantage by existing illegally for all these years. So they shouldn't have a jump on everyone else for that reason. That's my opinion, and I think that's the way a lot of the legislatures and legislators in California feel about it. So let's talk about Nevada. Oh, by the way, just conclu- concluding the previous subject... Uh, Even if a bill is passed in early 2015, it'll probably take another year or so to get all the regulations written and get everything done. So it probably will not become law until January 1st, 2016 or later. So don't expect to play legalized online poker in California until at least the year 2016. But it's probably coming eventually. Some 888.com news, and a lot of this is courtesy of Steve Ruddock, also known as steve on our forum, who did some good interviews with the CEO of 888 Holdings named uh, Brian Mattingly, not related to Don Mattingly, manager of the Dodgers, by the way. This is Mattingly with L-E-Y in his name. Uh he, Mr. Mattingly revealed that an 888 poker room will be coming within the next four to six months to Nevada. Now, there already is an 888 poker room, which is WSOP.com, but basically it's WSOP.com running 888 software, but using all the WSOP branding that you wouldn't know it's 888 software unless you were familiar with that specific software. Uh... 888 is actually going to be branding their own room in Nevada. I'm not sure which uh, casino they'll be associated with, but uh, there will actually be an 888 room that is considered 888 poker, and that's going to be the name of it, in late 2014 or early 2015. It will be part of what's known as the All-American Poker Network in Nevada. The three skins on that network will be 888.com, It will be Treasure Island, which will also be running 888 software, and WSOP.com. Yep. WSOP.com deciding to go with the skin model and share player pools with 888 and Treasure Island. And by the way, Caesars does not own Treasure Island, also known as TI. So they're really just... Cooperating to try to get a bigger player pool. And I think they need to do that because Nevada just does not have the population and the player pool to support that enough players to run a lot of games. So anything they can do to increase their player pool is good. 775 Fraud 55 775 372 8355 is the phone number 702 430 1808 or you can text 7753728355 let's see if we've received any text no thank you everybody for not texting me i appreciate that used to get so many texts now just not anymore not anymore got some tweets though Maybe I'll read those. This is from Lost in Poker. Uh, I feel your pain. I got artwork done for a home games poker club. $200 for caps. Guy never gave me the artwork. That's not good. Uh, And then referring to Daniel Coleman, I just think he was two-faced, saying I hate how poker exploits people and then in effect just does that exploits his position. Max Prophet says, can you please explain to these Goyim what the Samson option is? Shalom, y'all. And Lost in Poker says again, uh, uh, I call them Silver Spoon Silk Line Socialists. Ree Coleman refer to my last tweet to you. Coleman is a total two-faced troll, IMO. I don't think he's a two-faced troll. I just think he's uh, really misguided. I think he's like guilty and misguided. I think Coleman should just enjoy his money and stop trying to find a purpose for why he's living. He'll, he'll find it on his own. You don't have to artificially inject a purpose into your life just because you made some money. And if you really feel like you have to do something good with the money, then do it, you know, find a charity that you think is worthy and donate to it, or even kind of create your own charity or give money to those, you know, who are good people that are really in need of money. If you really feel that, uh, You want to make a difference with that money. People talking in the chat about the earthquake that happened in California. Uh, I don't know if everybody knows this about the Richter scale. But you hear about an earthquake like 4.0, you go, oh boy, I wonder if they're okay. You ever read about an earthquake that's 4.0? Don't even bother calling the people that live on the epicenter. Because a 4.0 quake is a very small quake. It's a logarithmic scale, which basically means it increases by a factor of 10 with every numeric increase of the scale. So a 5.0 earthquake is 10 times as strong as a 4.0 earthquake. A 6.0 earthquake is 100 times as strong, 100 times as strong as a 4.0 earthquake. And a 7.0 is 10 times as strong as a 6.0 and a thousand times a 4.0, uh, Basically, I I can tell you from uh, living in California many years, a 4.0 is just a little shake that means nothing. A 5.0 is something you feel, but doesn't do much damage usually. A 6.0 is a substantial quake, but it is not a devastating quake. It's one where there will be some damage, especially really close to the epicenter. Uh, There could be some deaths, especially from things that fall, like, you know, Cabinets that fall on people or whatever, Uh, but it's not a type of quake that you really have to worry a lot about. My brother lives in the area where the quake occurred, and I didn't even worry. But a 7.0, that's a pretty big deal. 7.0 or somewhere near 7.0. And the two major 7.0-type quakes that we've had in the U.S. in recent and semi-recent years was the 6.9 Northridge quake in uh, 1994. That was very devastating. The 1989 Loma Prieta quake in Northern California, 7.1, the one that interrupted the World Series between the Oakland A's and San Francisco Giants. So... Those are pretty serious quakes. Those are ones to worry about the sevens. The eights are the real bad quakes because that's ten times the strength of a seven. And a nine, there have been some nines, but uh, those are uh, really, really bad. So you get a nine in a major metropolitan area, you're in trouble. Uh, Fortunately, most of the really, really big quakes have not been uh, in big areas, the highly populated areas I'm talking about. And, you know, that that really defines how much damage and death there is. The less populated an area, the less death there will be. I've always said that the best place to be during an earthquake is the worst place to be during a lightning storm and vice versa, if you think about it. Best place to be during an earthquake is in a big open field with nothing around you. Some people will think the Earth will open up and swallow you, but that won't happen. You want to be on a big open field during an earthquake. But during a lightning storm, that's where you don't want to be. Uh, where do you want to be during a lightning storm? Indoors. Where don't you want to be during a big earthquake? Indoors. So, <laughs> they're opposite. Uh, Here are some really big earthquakes, by the way, that have happened. The biggest one that has ever been recorded, a 9.5 in Chile in 1960. The one that happened in the Indian Ocean 10 years ago in uh, Indonesia that caused all that death and destruction was a 9.1 to 9.3. Now, it was in the ocean, so the death was from the tsunami, not really the earthquake, but uh, obviously a bad situation. Alaska in 1964 in Prince William Sound had a uh, a 9.2 earthquake. So those are some of the biggest quakes ever. You might be wondering about the uh, San Francisco quake. Uh, 1906 I'm talking about, not the 89 quake. But uh, 1906 San Francisco earthquake. 7.7 to 7.9. They couldn't determine it all that well back then. But that was the uh, estimated quake. That's pretty severe for a big city. 7.7 to 7.9. That's uh, pretty bad. The uh, Sichuan earthquake in China in 2008, 8.0. The Tohoku earthquake in Japan, 9.0. and uh anyway the uh the, the really deadly quakes are the ones that have uh, occurred in places where there are there not a lot of standards as far as uh construction a lot of them long time ago you know when uh construction wasn't as uh good or safe That's when you had uh, five- and six-figure death tolls. You had uh, 235,000 people die in China in a 1920 earthquake. That was 8.6. 1923 in Japan, 142,000 people died. So what would happen to L.A. if there's a major, major earthquake like 9.0? I don't even want to think about it. Even 8.0. But at 9.0, it's hard to imagine, you know, that could really be horrible. 8.0, I I think there would be deaths, but I think there wouldn't be, like, a staggering number of deaths. The 6.9 that happened in Northridge was, uh, there were deaths, but it was not, uh, I think, like, 100 or so people died, and a lot of them were from one building that fell. So, anyway, it's one thing that is unpleasant about living in California. They could just come at any time and, and hit you. And everybody wondering, you know, one day is it just is it going to happen? That big one is going to come. We don't know. Though there are safer places to live, by the way, than others in California. There are places that are not known to have any faults or be all that near faults. And while you will feel an earthquake and likely have damage from it uh, are not as dangerous as others. I I think the two worst places to be living right now for earthquakes as far as danger would be like the San Francisco Bay Area and the San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. San Fernando Valley of L.A. has had two major quakes, one in 94, one in 71, Right around the same place, too. One other problem with earthquake. Nobody really gets earthquake insurance. I wouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people don't get it because it's so expensive. And uh, another problem with earthquake insurance is that you don't know if you'll ever get paid. Because when would you need earthquake insurance? Well, it'd be if your house gets wrecked by an earthquake, which means probably tons of other homes get wrecked by an earthquake, which means the company's probably not going to be able to pay you if... Everybody who took a policy with them Has had a destroyed home. Caller, you're on the air. Hello? Yes. Yes.
1: Yeah, I just had a question. I've been playing this video poker all year.
0: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh.
1: Uh huh. And I don't know. I mean, I've been playing probably 600,000, 700,000 hands, and I still haven't even hit a royal flush. So do you think that the odds that I should just stop playing it or keep going?
0: Well, well. First of all, I'm hearing my own voice. Can you turn down the radio?
1: I played this bonus poker, but the full house only pays out like thirty credits. Is that a bad pay table?
0: Can you turn down my voice Can in the you background? Turn down my voice.
1: How do I do that?
0: You, you close the radio. Can you close, close the, radio? the
1: radio? Oh, oh, but I don't have it open.
0: I don't know what's going on here. I don't know what's going on here. Well, I'm gonna. I have to take your question well, off gonna, the air. I've... Okay, so I I can't stand hearing this feedback here. It like this guy was in a car or something, but I don't know if he's being serious here. Uh, but to briefly answer his question, if he is being serious, uh, yes, playing video poker for 600,000 hands and not hitting a Royal is horrible. Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, you hit a Royal on average once out of every 40,000 hands, so to go about 15 times that or more, it's got to be pretty statistically small to ever be able to do that. I, I haven't calculated it, but I'm. It's almost to the point I don't believe this guy. And and second, I don't know what he's talking about with a thirty for a full house from Bonus Poker. Uh, bonus Poker is uh, there's various forms of it, but uh, Bonus Poker is where they take away payouts for a uh, for the smaller hands like a flush or a full house or sometimes even just uh, two-pair, and they give you larger payouts for specific four-of-a-kinds and and stuff like that. But whatever game you're playing, just make sure you understand the perfect strategy for it, which you can find on sites like wizardofodds.com, and memorize the perfect strategy, and make sure the pay table is as high as possible. For example, if you're going to play or better, you should look for a machine that pays nine for a full house and six for a flush and if you can't find a machine like that you really should not be playing jacks or better poker because you have a pretty bad pay table and you're going to lose a lot of money so beyond that I can't really answer his question strange call uh, this was sent to me by beer and poker speaking of uh, machines and casinos and I knew about this but I'm glad he sent this to me because I wasn't going to talk about it There's a machine in the MGM known as Lion's Share. And it's a legendary machine because it's gone for 20 years without the jackpot hitting. And there's a law in the state of Nevada that a machine has to pay out a minimum of 75% of the money put into it. So this machine, Lion's Share, just kept accumulating the jackpot higher and higher, got up to $2.4 And they were not allowed to take that machine away out of the MGM because it had not paid out 75% of what had been put into it because it went 20 years without a jackpot. Uh, Nobody had ever known of a machine like this before that had gone 20 years between jackpots. It became a legendary machine. Uh, Some people would wait in line to play it for half an hour or more. It was such a popular machine because there were all these people thinking, "Okay, it's going to finally hit now, and the jackpot's so high, it's got to finally hit." You know, it's due to hit, which isn't really true. It's not really due, but they were saying the jackpot's so high, it's worth doing. But 20 years—I mean, <laughs> yeah, it could go another 20 years. I, I didn't want to play that machine because I thought maybe it could just drag on forever. Well, finally, the jackpot's been won. A couple from New Hampshire. Hit the jackpot! They were only playing on it for five minutes, and they spent about a hundred bucks in those five minutes, and they got the proper uh, signs on the machine all in a line to get the two point four million dollar payout. Now the machine is probably going to be retired because now that it has coughed up its jackpot and now has paid out more than 75% of the money put into it, they don't have to run it anymore. So it's an old machine. They probably don't want it anymore. They're probably going to retire it. And there's even been some talk of actually giving the machine to the winners as a souvenir. So Thank you, Beer and Poker, for sending me that story. I've never hit a Royal Flush in video poker, by the way. I'm due for one. I played 20,000 hands of video poker in 2013. I did not hit a Royal. 20,000. So about a 50% chance I was going to hit one and I did not. Pretty sad. Haven't played much video poker at all in 2014. So, one other story about 888.com... The CEO of 888.com also told Steve-O that he thinks PokerStars should have to wait two years before entering the U.S. market. This is what uh, Mattingly, not Don Mattingly, said about PokerStars. He said that it was an unfair advantage that PokerStars got to operate in the U.S. market all this time when they weren't allowed to do so. He said they shouldn't be allowed to walk into new states alongside the companies that left the U.S. market after the U.S. UIGEA passed, and said there should be a period of exclusion for Poker Stars. Uh, that one year, eighteen months, or two years would be a fair amount of time to spend in the penalty box. So that's what he feels would be. Necessary to negate the advantage that poker stars got from being in the U.S. market from uh, 2006 to 2011. And this is the CEO of 88.com, so that's what he'd like to see. Actually, I'm sure what he'd like to see was no poker stars at all, but that seems to be the compromise that he would be willing to agree to if he had any say in it. Well, Final story before the editorial. Here at eleven o five p.m., a man accused of being part of that Caesar's sports betting ring during the World Cup has been released from prison. But there's more to this story. Uh, Hui Tang, he's one of eight defendants in the te- in the case. He was able to raise one point five million dollars in bail so basically the government said to him you can get out of prison if you can come up with one million dollars times 1.5 but there was a catch in that they were a little bit concerned that uh, Hui Tang would flee the country now they did have him sign a what's known as an extradition waiver, which means if he did get out of the country that uh, they'd be able to present this waiver to wherever he ran to, that he agrees to be extradited, and then he would get extradited. Unfortunately, uh, they have realized that that probably would not be honored by most countries, an extradition waiver, So, especially the countries he'd be likely to go to. So they did the following. They put some additional conditions on him, in addition to signing that waiver that uh, he cannot gamble, he cannot use drugs or alcohol or firearms during that time, and he has to have a GPS monitor on him so they can know where he is at all times. And where will he be living? Where will he be during this time while he's being monitored? Where he's required to be? Well, a certain poker player took him into the home, into his home, and that is where he is required to be, at the home of none other than Tom Duan. (laughs) So Hui Tang is living with Tom Duan and is now required by law to live at Tom Duan's Las Vegas home until this case is either settled or comes to trial. But he will be allowed to travel within Clark County, which Las Vegas is part of. Uh, Tang is 44 years old. Uh, Can you imagine how happy One Step would be in this spot? Can you imagine if One Step was forced by law to live at Tom Dwan's home? That wouldn't be a punishment for him. He'd want the case to drag on forever. So, some guys get all the luck, I guess. And Hui Tang gets what One Step has dreamed about every night, and that is being forced to live with Tom Dwan. By the way, Some various poker pros have come forward and given character references for various defendants in this Caesars sports betting case. Phil Ivey, Daniel Cates, Jungle Man. I don't think he's much of a character reference, but he gave one anyway. And Andrew Roble. So uh, Andrew Roble was also helping come up with a bail, so... A lot of these high-stakes poker players coming to the defense of these accused sports bettors in Caesars, running that sports betting ring, I think probably because these are the guys losing money to them in the Macau games, and they want to get in these guys' good graces so they can go back to Macau and continue chunking off money to them. It's funny them giving character references. It's, like, so transparent. Would you even want a character reference from Daniel Cates? I'd be afraid if he gave me a character reference that people would think that I'm uh, uh, multi-accounting, sending thugs to threaten people who owe me money, uh, running other general scams. I I just don't think that uh, Daniel Cates would be someone I would be calling into court to say I'm a good guy. He'll probably want to punch me in the face again for making that statement, but oh well. So, on to my editorial here. It is about blaming the victim. We have seen on 2 Plus 2 and Poker Fraud Alert and many other forums where scam victims come forward. These are usually poker scam victims or victims who are scammed by poker players. And they tell their whole story. Usually when someone who's a victim comes forward, they tell you a very detailed story about what happened. Or maybe first they'll give you a little teaser and then eventually tell the whole story. A very detailed story you'll usually get out of the scam victims in attempt to expose those that scam them. And while you usually get the predictable and deserved condemnation of the scammer, provided the story looks legit, which it usually is, You also get a lot of snide comments of things like, well, that was pretty stupid. You deserved it. Or if you allow this to happen to you, you deserve everything you get. Or you have to share some of the blame here because, boy, were you stupid. I don't like statements like that. Because all that does is transfer responsibility from the perpetrator to the victim. Almost saying that people who aren't as world-wise or street-wise or even smart deserve to get scammed, deserve to have crimes committed against them, and deserve to have their money stolen from them. Let's take this a step further. Would you say that a retarded person deserves to have their money stolen from them? I'm sure everybody listening to this show would say no. A retarded person obviously has limitations, has mental limitations, and anyone who takes advantage of that to steal money from them is the ultimate scum. And I agree. But what about someone who is not retarded, but maybe has a lower IQ? Or what about someone who has an average or better IQ that just is overly trusting or naive or just kind of sheltered and doesn't understand that there's a lot of predators out there that are looking to cheat them? Do these people deserve to have their money stolen? No, they don't deserve to have their money stolen. The only people who deserve to have their money stolen are ones who are committing crimes at the same time. So if you're trying to steal money from someone and in the process of trying to steal money, you get your own money stolen, well, then you deserve it. Or let's say you robbed someone's house and stole a lot of money out of there. And then later on, you get your, that money stolen by one of your accomplices. Well, you could say that that was deserved. But when you have done nothing wrong, when you have not victimized anyone yourself, you do not deserve to be harmed by others just because you may not have been as wise as you should have been in presenting, preventing the scam in the first place. So I don't like when victims are blamed for simply not being aware enough, not smart enough, not streetwise enough to have prevent, presented the, prevented the scam in the first place. Now, of course, we can think the same thing when we read these stories. Wow, is this person stupid? Wow, is this person gullible? I've read some of the dating scam stories, and it amazes me how gullible some of these guys are. Like I read about one guy, and of course this has nothing to do with poker, but one guy who sent $300,000, his life savings, and this guy is an older guy probably. Not like senile age old, but like you're probably early 60s. He sent his life savings of $300,000 over about a year's period of time to a girl, supposed girl, in England supposedly that he had never verified was actually there, spoke to him in broken English, sent pictures to him of a well-known porn star, claimed that was her, and never spoke to her on the phone, never saw any proof that he was even speaking to a female, and sent $300,000 to this person, and even flew to England a few times to meet her, and when she didn't show up, She would make excuses of why she couldn't show up and he believed those too and kept sending money until he was flat broke, even with his family being aware of this and trying to repeatedly warn him that he's being scammed by someone in Africa. And this was not a guy who was retarded. This is not a guy who was slow. This is not a guy who was senile. He was just in the ultimate form of denial. He really believed that this beautiful girl who looked like a porn star and the picture actually was of a porn star uh, from England was in love with him inexplicably and somehow needed all this money for various emergencies that would come up in her life. And I, I read that and I go, oh my God, how could someone be so stupid? Like even if you, even if you fell in love with this uh, ruse that was pl- presented, and th- this wasn't even presented well. This is like some African using broken English just saying I love you by the second time they talk to them. But, you know, I wondered how could someone of sane mind fall for something so obvious like that? But still, I didn't feel he deserved it. I felt bad for him. And at the same time, thought the guy was stupid and super, super gullible. But you should always feel bad for the victim. You should never blame them. You can give them advice on how to prevent this from next time, happening next time. But when you blame the victim, especially publicly, all you do is discourage others from coming forward who have been victimized by scammers because then they will be afraid that they will be insulted as well. And one of the worst things when you have lost money in any way is to have people chiding you about it and making fun of you about it. There have been times that I have had very bad losing sessions online. And believe it or not, one of my thoughts has been, I wish I was playing on an account that nobody knew was me So at least there aren't people here gossiping about how much money I just lost. And there have been accounts I've been on that are not known to be me that have lost money. And I actually feel good. Well, at least I can suffer in private and nobody knows who just had that bad session. Nobody knows who lost all that money. But that's just in poker where losses are a reality for all players. But when you were scammed and when someone played you for a fool... When someone made a sucker out of you and you try to expose them and people just rub into your face what a sucker you were, uh, you feel sorry for the, that you came out with it in the first place. And you don't want anyone else who wants to come out with similar stories about other people or maybe even about that same person to be discouraged from doing so. When, scam, when scams are presented on forums and if you believe that the victim is telling the truth, you should either say nothing or be supportive of them, or bash the scammer. But don't bash the victim, even if it's tempting, even if you want to feel good about yourself by bragging how much uh, wiser you would have been in the situation, how you would not have fallen for it. The victim doesn't need to hear that. They've been through enough. The hate should always be directed against the perpetrator. And that will help more and more people feel okay about coming out, about being scammed. It's a little bit similar to how there was once a stigma against admitting you were a molestation victim. In fact, there still is to some degree, but much less than it used to be, thankfully. But a long time ago, no one would ever come forward about being molested because they had some sort of shame about it, like that people are going to blame them for allowing it to happen, even if they were very young when it occurred. And this allowed the perpetrator to get away with it and molest many more people for many more years. And sometimes by the time the people would come out with the story, uh, the perpetrator was either dead or so many years had passed that uh, it was past the statute of limitations. The bottom line is all these sorts of things need to be exposed and the victim should never be blamed. That's never a good thing for society or for the victims themselves. If you want to put in a river phone call, seven seven five fraud fifty five seven seven five three seven two eight three five five. Otherwise, this will go down. Someone asking in the chat, "What is Druff talking about?" I just got back, and someone said, "It's the editorial." <laughs> so anyway. 775-FRAUD-55 you want to make a river phone call. Otherwise, we are going to shut this down, this very late starting show that I thought was going to be canceled. In fact, I announced it was going to be canceled. I said on Twitter, it's canceled. We're doing it again tomorrow at 1130. Then I just started dreading doing it at 1130, and when my computer got fixed, when I was just about to give up on it for, uh, for a while, I fixed it, and I said, ah, you know what? I'm going to do the show anyway. I'm going to do the show anyway, and I did. Sorry, the free roll's gone, but it'll be back next week and the money that was donated for it will, of course, still be given away. So when next week will the show be? We've only had five days in between shows for the last two shows. This is the third show in 15 days in case you're feeling like we've had a lot of shows lately. We have. Three shows in 15 days. But next show will be eight days from now, which will be on... Wednesday, September 3rd at 6.30pm, provided that my computer doesn't uh, have issues again but I think we've got all that fixed we got through this pretty well tonight and we will have the free roll then at 7.40pm its usual time, Pacific Time I will go check on the Mount Charleston phone this weekend I'm really going to do that and uh If you're in the Vegas area this weekend, this Labor Day weekend, and you'd like to say hello to me, let me know. Maybe we can meet up briefly. And, you know, I always like to meet listeners, and I know Vegas is a popular destination during the Labor Day weekend. So, I got this show done. I made it happen. Two hours too late, but I made it happen. And I think it was an interesting episode with Kim Shannon coming on here and everything else we had to talk about. If I couldn't have done it tonight and I couldn't have done it tomorrow, then uh, I would have had to wait because uh, I'm going to be busy over the Labor Day weekend. Anyway, thank you to everybody that still listened live and still hung in there. Thank you to Kim Shannon for coming on and telling her side of the story. I will be... Contacting Amanda to see if she wants to accept the money that Kim claims she will send, and I will give an unbiased update to the situation as it continues. Since I seem to have uh, injected myself into the whole thing, <laughs> so that is all for tonight. Here at 11:23 p.m. Pacific, the show will be in the archives relatively soon, probably within the next hour or so. Good night, peace shalom and everything else that goes with the end of this show. See you next week on Wednesday night.